listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. everybody, welcome to another episode of The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I'm your host, The Samurai, and across the border from him is a good pal, Big Willie. Bonjour, comment ça va? Yes, the audio sounds good. You don't sound like Max Hedrum this week, yet. <laughs> or Zap and Roger. <laughs> or whatever the case is. Uh, like Canadian robotics is not uh, is not one of the strengths of the North, I think. So. <laughs> I, our, uh, no, they're not. I think our theme last week, we should have at least, or put it in, would have been uh, Mr. Roboto. But I didn't come to save the day. I'm like the bizarro world, Mr. Roboto, where I come to fuck the day up and make life hell for our friendly neighborhood podcasters. Yeah, I, f- I felt like on my end and a lot of other people's end, I just felt like you were a DJ because it just kept repeating. It's like, you know, just kind of. Oh, I know. It was just, I listened to it and it just, I was just gritting my teeth. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough, trust me. It but, was. But we are back in uh, in full force, like uh, like the band Full Force. Yeah, there we go. Nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, nice. Or four SMDs. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, this week we got a couple of very interesting films. We got an Ozploitation, I think you can call it an Ozploitation classic at this point, called The uh, Man from Hong Kong from 1975. And a film that is, is the same age as me, uh, Sergio Martino's 1973 Giallo Torso. So uh, this should be a very interesting week. Our first Giallo. I'm very excited. As am I. We've been talking about, and this one wasn't the first one we were going to cover, but I'm glad that uh, we did bump it up. It's yep. nice to cover some stuff in the horror realm and in the giallo realm specifically, because I know you you champion Martino more than anyone, so it's nice to uh, expose some people to who maybe aren't as familiar. Exactly. So we are, and actually these are the uh, second films, I think, from each one of these directors, Brian Trenchard-Smith and, uh, and Mr. Martino. We did Hands of Steel from Mr. Martino, and we did... Uh, Turkey Shoot, a.k.a. Escape 2000 from Mr. Trenchard Smith. So we're back into our wheelhouse. <laughs> and the funny thing, if anyone looks at Hands of Stealing and says, that's not Martino, that's Martin Dolman. Um, Martin Dolman is uh, a name that uh, <laughs> that Martino used. A lot of those Italian guys used uh, pseudonyms when they were making sort of schlocky 80s uh, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Martino had a lot of aliases, actually. We'll go over them when we get to the review, but... Yeah, so uh, I'm going to keep the intro short and sweet the way we've been liking doing that. Been liking. That's awesome English, people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll go to break here, and then we'll jump into the uh, man from Hong Kong. So we hope everybody's excited, and we'll be right back. PopSyndicate.com. Your one stop for all your unhealthy obsessions. Breaking news and in-depth reviews on all of your favorite movies, music, TV shows, podcasts, comics, books. PopSyndicate.com. Take back your evidence. It has no power to deceive. We're live. This is Dr. J and my daughter. KK! And we're back with another review for The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. 
Now, tonight, we went back to square one. We saw the sequel to They Call Me Trinity. What was it called, KK? Trinity is still my name. Trinity is still my name. We went back to see Bud Spencer and Terrence Hill in a continuation of the story of the characters from the first movie we ever reviewed for The Gentleman's Guide. So, KK, what did you think of this movie? I thought that... It was really good. My favorite part was when they kept bumping everyone on the head and going, bam, 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 bam. It was really cool. Yeah, they went back to the original fight progress of slap, slap, bonk, bonk. Flip. And, and an occasional flip. Yes, no, it was it was fun in a slapstick way. Did you think it was as good as the original? No. Why not? Um, I think this one was a little more slower. Like, the other one had more fights. The other one was a little quicker paced. Uh-huh. I thought that this movie seemed a little bit forced. There was less plot. There was less moving forward. There was more writing on the success of the last movie. However, still it was fun, don't you think? Uh-huh. When they had to find the money, I don't know why they gave it up. They always want to get money instead of give up money. But they always wind up giving up the money, doesn't it seem that way? Yeah, so they're not going anywhere. They're not going anywhere, and I think that's the story of Trinity and Bambino, the brother. It seemed like a pretty girl got in the way again in this movie, huh? Yeah. Every time they got moving forward, what did they wind up doing? Going back to the pretty girl. Giving the money to the family? Yeah. How do you like the baby? The baby was Sir Toots-a-Lot. Sir Toots-a-Lot? Yeah, that baby had some serious gas issues. You can quit making the farting noises online. I don't think that the gentleman's family wants to okay, listen to, to your farting. <laughs> so, in the end, what do you think about this movie? Did you enjoy watching it? I enjoyed watching it. Do you like it as much as the first one? No, I like the first one better. Okay. On your elementary school grade level, where would you put this one? I would put it at an A. Just an A? Yes. What would you put the first one at? An A+. plus. Wow. Okay. And what was your make or break scene of the movie? The last scene when they were all fighting and getting flipped and being bonked on the head and trying to get the money. Yeah, once again, I think they did a good job with the final scene. The um, choreography of the fight was was fun. It was not as awe-inspiring as a kung fu type movie, but it was still well choreographed for a rough fight scene. And as you and I were laughing through the movie, it seemed to be bonk, bonk, slap, slap, and flip. (laughs) Yeah, no, bonk, bonk, up through the chin, slap, slap, flip. Something like that. <laughs> All right. Now, what was your most valuable thing in the movie? My most valuable thing was the fighting, which was some of the movie. It was cool when they started off. They were pretending they were bad guys to the other bad guys, and they were actually just stopping them. Yeah, they always like to pretend they're bad guys or pretend they're sheriffs, or in this case, federal agents. And yet they're really pretty much just loners, huh? All right. You know, my my most valuable thing in this movie was the daughter of the settlers. I thought she had just hauntingly captivating blue eyes. 
Nice freckles on her face. Beautiful, young, blonde. She was a highlight of the movie for me. So, would you recommend this to your friends? Yeah. You would? Mm-hmm. You'd sit down here with, with your girlfriends and watch this movie on a Saturday afternoon? Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Do you recommend it to the gentleman's listeners? Yes. Yes. You sound a little stronger in that. Anything else you want to add to the review, KK? Goodbye and have a happy Easter. Well, I guess that's it. Goodbye, folks. Have a happy Easter. This is Dr. J and... KK! And I hope y'all have a wonderful weekend. Thanks. Bye! I don't need no one to tell me about I look at my daughter and I believe I don't need no all right, welcome back, everybody. We are ready to roll on The Man from Hong Kong. So, Large William picked this film this week. I'm going to kick it over to you for a short plot synopsis because there's not a lot of plot going on here. <laughs> Sorry, did, uh, I don't know, did we talk about the details in terms of directors and everything, or do you want to get into that, I guess, obviously after the plot synopsis? Um, I just talked about this being Brian Trencher Smith's second film that we've covered, but we can talk about it. Oh, well, I did want to say uh, that it's Brian Trenchard Smith co-directed and probably directed a good bulk of it. But Jimmy Wang, you also directed it as well. Yes, yes. I forget sometimes to give Wang Yu any uh, credit here, but uh, yeah, because he's we'll an accomplished director, <laughs> which I'm sure we'll get into more towards the end of uh, the review. Yes, I mean he did direct one of my top ten favorite kung fu films of all time, so we'll talk about yes. that too. Yes, exactly. So basically, there is no plot synopsis on IMDb, but to summarize this film, Jimmy Wang Yu, Australia, feet, fists, George Lazenby, Roger Ward with hair, science mustache, and broken inanimate <laughs> objects, and hang gliding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or kite flying, as they called it, for some weird reason. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, when I fly a kite in America, I don't hook myself up to it, so I don't know. And fly over <laughs> metropolises. <laughs> That always looks like that would be like really fun to do, but it also seems to me it's such a fragile thing to do that uh, you know I'd be so scared that uh, like oh here I go I'm just going to start you know doing a little uh, spin a little dive down. Anyway, uh, yeah, I, I thought the same. I thought it looked really cool, but then it's like, well, if I just bumped into a skyscraper, <laughs> you know, and there's no getting around it. Like there's no you know sharp turns or spinning the wheel. I mean, you're fucked if you. <laughs> Start skimming walls. I just rewatched, uh, and this is kind of off the point before we get into our review here, but uh, this is what you love us for, our tangents. Uh, I just rewatched The Dark Knight before I watched this, and uh, I just thought about Christian Bale doing his uh, hang gliding thing. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. And I was like, wow, you know, that, that, that's so similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> the funny thing is, this this is the real deal, though, with the oh, hang gliding. Yeah, this is the real deal. This isn't uh, death metal Christian Bale. Where is he? <laughs> <laughs> All right, <laughs> here we go. All right, so we're going to jump into review here. So, The Man from Hong Kong. Now, this is kind of an infamous exploitation film. Uh, this has been reviewed before from o the OTC guys back in the day. It's been a while back. I can't remember what episode, but uh, we wanted to, we both wanted to see this. I had seen it. I've seen this film once in my lifetime, and I caught it on cable when I was a kid, and I couldn't even understand it at the time. I was much too young to understand the sort of intri intricacies of. Uh, uh, exploitation films like this and when i say that you'll see what i'm talking about when further we go in this review because this film if there's films out there i mean the genre it says it's in on imdb is action drama and adventure but this really to me is pure action this is an action film there's really nothing else going on in this movie except action there's a couple yep. little moments but this is pure action cinema 
No way around it. And, uh, I mean, the first thing you notice, the uh, first thing I noticed in the film was uh, good old Sammo Hung, who keeps uh, coming back to the gentleman's guide. <laughs> he does. It's a young Sammo with a catfish mustache and a Prince Valiant haircut. It's awesome. <laughs> it is. And Sammo, again, even though he's, uh, you know, a bit of a chubber, he uh, runs up uh, Ayers Rock there uh, quite impressively and does some uh, nice little stunts and things as Sammo is known to do. But, yeah, I mean, I see Sam every time I see Sammo, he puts a smile on my face. So it was good to see Sammo. Here's a bit of foreshadowing. Sammo uh, is going to come back into the conversation next week with our films. A little bit of foreshadowing for people. Nice. More Sammo. Sammo, like I say, he is a gentleman's god favorite. He just keeps coming back. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's one of our faves. All right. So I want to say also that the music and in the intro is exceptional. The pa- It sets the pacing and the tone of the film. Uh, I really liked it quite a bit. Uh, I didn't expect that, actually. It almost had like a black exploitation feel. Yeah, it really had sort of the bass guitar, really funky kind of fuzzy score. And the thing was, I liked it. It opened up with a lot of punch like that. And then it seems like after about the first 20 minutes, they went away with that. And the music was okay after that. But yeah, yeah, know, it wasn't ever, really it never out. returned to the, it was in the intro, which was kind of weird. It's like, it's like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if they thought they had to catch people with the intro music and everything. And, and it, does, it does a great job because the intro music does everything right. It, like I say, it sets the tone. It kind of gets you a, a pace building, kind of raises your heartbeat up a little bit. But then the music through the rest of the film is very generic. Yes. It's very, you know, ba-da-ba-ba-da, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it's very, very generic the rest of the way through. It's kind of strange. But, uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun with that intro music. Matter of fact, I watched the intro to this film twice because the movie really grabs you from the get-go. There's a great action scene in the intro. Now, I was really excited because I'm sitting here watching this and thinking, oh, this is going to be action-packed, action-packed. But the thing is, I did not expect every action scene in the film to be its own little film, basically, because that's what this film kind of comes across as. Every action set piece in this film could be a short film on how to direct action or how to do stunt work. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it becomes a case of... Um, the thing is... Um, I'll digress into this very quickly. Jimmy Wang Yu was was basically Bruce Lee before Bruce Lee was around. He wasn't. He was a good, very good martial artist, but he wasn't a great martial artist. And when you get him, and you get Westerners, or maybe you know, I know this was a Golden Harvest co-production, but you get other people shooting action, and it almost becomes too much too often. Like you, there's something to be said for uh, peppering your action accordingly in between certain things because. It starts to lose its effectiveness. It's like a, a coach in a sport who's constantly yelling. Yelling every now and then works. Yelling all the time doesn't work. And you're going to tune out. Right, exactly. And this, this, this film really hits you over the head with action. I mean, if you're really in the mood for an action movie, this is a, this, you can't go wrong with this one because this one is over the top with action. I mean, we, you're going to hear that word so much because there's very, very little plot. You know, what uh, Large Williams said there in the beginning, Jimmy Wang, you. George Lazenby, Australia. That's really all the plot there is because there's a good guy, there's a bad guy, uh, and maybe somebody in between. There's a couple of strange Australian cops, which are awesome, Roger Ward being one of them, who's practically unnoticeable uh, from the Roger Ward I'm familiar with. Uh, Oh, is he ever? I I mean, (laughs) my note, Sammy, says, holy shit, exclamation point, Roger Ward with hair, son, stash. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hardly... I, I can't even remember him. The other cop is even awesome. I don't know if you remember, but he played Toe Cutter in the original Mad Max. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's right. Yeah, because he's working kind of the Nico Giraldi Serpico look in this. Uh, that's yeah. right. He was a toe cutter. Fuck, I forgot all about that. Yeah, he was toe cutter. And it's awesome. His hair is a character of its own in this film. <laughs> His hair gets wilder as the film goes on. It's it's awesome. It is really. And it's like the first scene you see him. I guess he's supposed to be doing the Serpico thing, but he's got like a belt with a gun on it and like a badge just kind of hanging off. It's like he's all of a sudden in a Western or something. Yeah, because it's a sheriff's badge. <laughs> it's like we need to make sure everybody understands this guy's a cop. Yeah. So, <laughs> even though Roger Ward's got a suit on, you know, you don't have a badge or anything. We got to make sure the other guy's a cop, not a thug. Yeah. So I guess they uh, they had to do that. But yeah, it was toe cutter, man. I, I saw his face and I was like, I know this dude from somewhere. Where do I know this dude? And I started looking through the IMDb and stuff, and I saw that Mad Max credit, and I was like, oh, it's fucking toe cutter, man. And I, of course, yeah. I'm a huge fan of Mad Max, so I was oh, yeah, very excited. And, and the funny thing is, that's that's two. I mean, him and Ward, those partners yep. were on opposite ends of the law in uh, in Mad Max. Yep, yep. So we can uh, we can get into Jimmy Wang Yu a little bit if you want to. Uh, there's quite a bit to talk about when it comes to him. I don't know if you want to wait until you get to your side of the review, or you want to talk about him now. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's an interesting uh, character on and off screen. Yeah, I mean, I'm okay talking about it now if you want to. If you want to get into it. So, as Will was saying, uh, Jimmy Wang Yu was kind of Bruce Lee, uh, Jackie Chan, and any of your other very popular Asian actors. He was kind of like uh, maybe the original. I mean, he was a yes. superstar. Uh, he fell by the wayside very quickly, though. Bruce Lee, I think, came around about 70 or 71 and really kind of took over. And uh, Jimmy Wang Yu never really recovered. Now, he, as a filmmaker... He was always, I thought, very talented. Uh, I think, you know, as I said earlier, he made one of my top ten favorite uh, uh, kung fu films, which is The Master of the Flying Guillotine. And uh, he's in some other great films. We've talked, uh, we, I don't know if we've talked about him, but uh, people have talked about him before. One-Armed Boxer, uh, One-Armed Swordsman, which I hope we get around to covering at some point on the show. The Chinese Boxer, which was the first uh, real kung fu film that, yeah. you know, didn't have weapons. It was the first hand-to-hand combat film. And the problem with him was, uh, you know, I know we're digressing here, but it's our show, so we'll digress. Uh, he broke his contract with the Shaw Brothers. Yes. And basically, he got booted out of Hong Kong, and he had to go to Taiwan. And, you know, he hooked up with Golden Harvest, which, as you know, this is a Golden Harvest co-production. So um, he, he really he pissed a lot of people off. He burned a lot of bridges. Um, he was sort of like Sean Penn, early Sean Penn, uh, and... Mickey Rourke and a few other bad boys all rolled into one here. Like he just yeah. fucked over people and got in fights and he got charged with murder, but you know, the case got dropped cause there was no, uh, not enough evidence, you know, just, yeah, there's all kinds of craziness to his personal life. He's uh well, he was a womanizer, uh, that that's a quite prominent in his biography, uh, that he moved around quite a bit. Now, you know, I mean that uh, teach their own, you know, if you hate somebody for being a womanizer or not, you know, whatever, a lot of people are, are rich and powerful or, or, you know, big-headed to turn into something or another. But, he, uh, yeah, the murder thing was really weird. That came out of nowhere when I was reading up on him and stuff. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but he got yeah. into a lot of bar fights and a lot of uh, fights outside of cinema, from what I understand. Yeah, no, I'd heard that. And I, I know another thing. Um, I When I went to watch Not Quite Hollywood at TIFF uh, last year, um, Brian Trenchard-Smith sort of recounted working with Jimmy Wang Yu, and he said what an asshole he was in pretty much plain language. He said he had uh, very low opinions of the white women um, in the film and uh, that basically he would eat fish and sort of foul foods before his love scenes with them. 
Yep. Uh, just yeah. just a real asshole. And, you know, that's fine, I guess. I mean, well, it's not fine. I don't really agree with that sort of behavior. But, you know, he was what he was, I guess. And, you know, good or bad, he he left an indelible mark early on um, <clears throat> in Asian cinema. Yeah. He's just a difficult person. I mean, you made some good examples there. Mickey Rourke, Sean Penn. Val Kilmer's another one that comes to mind. I'm just, yep. These guys are just, you know, they're, you know... I've said this before. I like my actors to be weirdos because I think actors are t- traditionally just weird people who happen who can't do anything else but act. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Jimmy Wang Yu must have been the same way. Now, I do know in his past he actually has he had little martial arts background in the beginning. I think he was a professional swimmer at one point. Yeah, I know he had something water polo or something. I knew there was something <laughs> in there. Um, an athletics background that wasn't really martial arts related. Yeah, and with that being said, he was a, he's a very talented stuntman, and uh, he does some very good uh, fight choreography and things like that, but he is not your traditional kung fu superstar in that, as far as his acrobatic kung fu goes, not very impressive. It, it never has been. He's always been more of a puncher, uh, low he, kicks type things. Yeah, and, that, and that's more because he's familiar with karate, which is yeah. Japanese. It does rely more on that blunt blunt force kind of kick and punch it's not elegant it's not like he's a wing chun master or yeah, any Gordon, of this or uh, any chinese kung fu styles that are, are very graceful and elegant um and technically uh, look very interesting on screen yes you know, he's more yeah just just sort of blunt to the face kind of <laughs> blunt force <laughs> trauma kind of uh, with his feet and hands <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh definitely if you guys haven't seen uh, not quite hollywood uh, check it out when it comes out on video because uh, there are some good behind the scenes story about the mayor from hong kong uh jimmy wang Yu and uh brian trenchard smith uh not exactly the best of friends nope. <laughs> okay so I'll, i will go go off jimmy uh, wang Yu here a little bit and talk about uh george lazenby who most people will know i think just about everybody who's a cinema fan know that george lazenby made one bond film uh, but George Lazenby always had a great face for action, or maybe not action, but just bad guys in cinema. For villainy. Yeah. And for this one is actually one of his best. Uh, this is uh, awesome. And the reason why it is awesome, and, and I'll say it with one word, mustache. Very good mustache. <laughs> this is a strong one, guys. This is one of uh, the gents. Uh, I mean, the minute I saw it, I, th- I thought to myself, oh, man, Will's going to love that stash. It is a beautiful mustache. And uh, Lazenby's a huge dude. Now, I don't know if he's a huge dude or if he, they just surrounded him with a bunch of small people, but <laughs> he uh, he's a big dude, man. And uh, even though his karate scenes are a little clunky, uh, he still manages to hold his own pretty good with uh, Jimmy Wang Yu and the choreography part. And I'm pretty sure, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure, and I don't think I'm giving anything away with the plot here, I'm pretty sure he did that fire stunt. Yeah, he does hold his own. You're absolutely right. Um, and there, yeah, there's a scene just for everyone knows where he gets lit on fire, and it's not like the old um, man in a mask that you can see. I mean, this guy's really lit on fire. Yeah, and he's trying to get that jacket off, <laughs> and it's like, whoa, that has to be burning, man, because he's really trying to get it off. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Brian Trenchard just kept rolling, even though he knew there was a bit of a problem. He's like, this is going to make for a great film. <laughs> Like, don't worry, George, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's flailing around trying to get the jacket off. It's like when you're in the car trying to get a jacket off. It yes. just was not working. Yes. He, uh, he's a, re- a great character in this film, too. He's one of the great bad guys because he's a cheating scumbag, too. He, there's the, the scene in the beginning there when he's fighting all the guys, and he's got a little secret there. I won't give it away, but he's got a little secret there that he throws back inside his little his little outfit there, which is pretty awesome. And 
Uh, yeah, I just I just loved his character in this film, and I, I just wish he would have been on screen more. Actually, I thought he was very charismatic, uh, very interesting, uh, great mustache, great hair. <laughs> just see, he looked fantastic, man. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't on screen enough. Now, saying that, and here's the reason why he wasn't on screen enough. Enough. This film is a very loose narrative. There's hardly any narrative to it at all. It's just an excuse for action scene after action scene. There's, I think, at least two, maybe three car chases. There's uh three or four fight scenes, I'm sure. Actually, one fight scene in the dojo, you actually get to see Brian Trenchard Smith doing some of his stunt work because Brian Trenchard Smith was a stuntman before he became a film director. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, that uh, Brian Trenchard Smith was he was the guy that kind of rappelled down to the elevator. Uh, I th- I thought he would show up because I knew he did have a background. I just I couldn't quite um, reconcile what I had seen him now and what I thought it would have looked like back then. Yeah, well, he looked he looked quite different because he... He's an older gentleman now, but uh, yeah, he's, it's actually the scene where Jimmy Wang, he first goes into the dojo. He's like the first guy he takes out who's on the phone with him. He's oh, that's him? Yeah, that's Brian Trencher Smith. <laughs> oh, his hair looks more fair in that scene than I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good... It looks like... Uh, I can't think of a person I'm trying to... He, he reminds me of somebody, but I can't think of who it is off the top of my head. But uh, all that being said, the transfer of this film is very good. It's it's a little cropped. There are some uh, moments where, and we got our copy from uh, the guys at Cinema Day Bazaar, so uh, you can head over there and grab it. Uh, it's a little uh, pan and scanned in spots. I mean, there's a couple scenes, only a couple, though, where one I'm thinking of, they're in the police precinct, I think, and Roger Ward and Toe Cutter are on the very extreme sides of the frame and a little cropped and cut off. But other than that, most everything fits into the frame very well. Yes, I thought that too, that it was a very, very nice clean print, but it did look a little bit cropped in a few spots. But what do you want for a film that's not on DVD? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I don't understand why this film's not on DVD, because this film has cult film written all over it. If you're going to talk about movies that uh, you hear consider quote-unquote cult movies, this is like the cream of the crop. I don't understand why this film isn't available on some... I can't believe that like Blue Underground or or Synapse Films or any of these low uh, low-budget uh DVD release companies that release these cult films. I can't believe they haven't. Nobody's picked this up. I don't know if it's a rights issue or what. Or even Dragon Dynasty, or anybody. Even when Tarantino had the Rolling Thunder label. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand it. I really don't. I don't know why this isn't available to people because this is cult cinema. This is a midnight movie. I mean, you know, this is this is one of those type of films, and I'm just amazed that this film isn't out anywhere. Uh, I do also want to mention that the uh, the there's the cheesy uh, little bit of racial slurs thrown around by Lazenby at the uh, pool at the uh, yacht scene or whatever that is where they're at. <laughs> oh, the little tea party thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm not laughing because they're racial slurs. I'm just laughing because the way they're delivered and the way uh, Jimmy Wang Yu uh, re- re- reacts is is very <laughs> it's very interesting to say the least. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I just think this film is an excuse for action, and when I say that. Here's the here's the one hang up I think with this film. Okay. The action scenes when Will and I were talking about this film yesterday, we were talking about how it drags in spots. And I thought that Will might say to me at that point, okay, it drags in spots because some of the dialogue scenes and some of the narrative scenes are a little clunky. And that's the best word for it because there is some pretty clunky scenes. They're clunky, but I mean they're not awful, but they're just they're clunky and boring. Yes. And I thought, well, you know, that, that's probably where the film slows down. That's probably what he means. But see, the problem is there's not enough of those scenes for it to really slow down. So mm-hmm. I thought to myself, well, you know, the parts I got bored at, there's a car chase toward the back third of the film that I don't know how long it lasts because I didn't time it. But I could swear it lasts like 15 minutes. 
and it's, it's not as exciting as you know the back third of the Road Warrior. Well, it's, not much <laughs> is though. I mean, in all fairness. Well, that's true. I can't really compare. That is the car chase scene of of movie history, in my opinion. I mean, that's like comparing Klitschko and saying, "Well, he's good, but he's no Muhammad Ali." Well, <laughs> yeah. well you <laughs> got many people. You are. got a point there. I might be I might be raising the bar a little high, but. <laughs> To say that is still, I mean, it, it it almost took me out of the movie. There was a couple action scenes where I was just like, "Come on, you you, you know, I mean, you're getting the point across." Okay, Jimmy Wang is a badass. I get it. Okay, let's let's stop now. But then it's like, okay, I got 15 more people inside this dojo. Let's throw 15 more people at him. <laughs> and let's throw weapons in. And yeah, so it gets a little tedious at times. So if you're in the mood, though, if you're in the mood for a pure action film. You can't go wrong. I'm not saying I wasn't in the mood. I just I felt like that it could have cut some of those scenes back and even made it even. And it's only a, I think it's only an hour and a half film, even though a lot of people, a lot of uh, runtimes give it credit for being like 115 minutes or 111 minutes. I'm pretty sure that it was only about an hour and a half. Yeah. And if you pick up the disc from Cinema de Bazaar, you're going to see that the runtime looks like it's two hours, but that's wrong. It just kind of runs... Um the poster for the film after the film ends yeah. for that length of time. So it is only about 90 minutes long. Yeah, and even at that, I still feel like it could have lost uh, 10 minutes and still would have been just as tight and just as good. So uh, that's all i got to say about The Man from Hong Kong. I'll kick it over to you, and we'll talk some more about it. All right. Um, as you said, the opening of the film is great. You get to see the terrain of Australia, which is very um, very beautiful. It's very harsh. It's very dramatic. Um you get a lot of red dust kicked up from the cliffs, and mm-hmm. it just—it looks very nice, and it makes for a good film. That's how um, you always know you're in Australia when you shoot when you watch the movie—is the red dust. I, that is a good point. I, I like that quite a bit. Oh yeah, it's very very nice. Um, so I like that. Like you said, that first little set piece with Samo and foot chase up that uh, whatever that that place was called. Um, I do want to say kudos to Trenchard Smith for making a film in the Western world that has a lot of Asians in it. Mm-hmm. Yes, um, and and not just that it has Asians and interracial love scenes, and we talk about that sometimes a lot. And you may think, well, what's our hang up? But or not our hang up, but what's our obsession? But you know, I'm all for equal rights. I'm not going to sit here and sit on my soapbox, but I think it's nice sometimes and refreshing to look back and see that some filmmakers uh, were were weren't afraid to do that. Uh, you know, they because I mean, a lot of times we we can I think forget what things were like back then. Yes, yes. No, I agree. We bring this up quite a bit, and it's it's not a pet peeve. It's just something we respect uh, because, you know, people are people. It doesn't matter what race, what generation, whatever and whatnot. You know, you're attracted to somebody, you're attracted to somebody. And it seemed like exploitation cinema always got that right, whereas Hollywood didn't at the time. So, Yeah, and people want to call this stuff smut and sleaze. Well, listen, when it comes to equal rights, <laughs> yeah. the exploitation hell, uh, mavens were the ones that got it right. And They're equal rights. I mean, people. There's some uh, some errors of film where people are making love to horses, so it's very equal. <laughs> Maybe too well, equal. <laughs> Maybe the word I mean there is equine. I don't know. Yes. <laughs> it is very equine, man. Those flagpoles. Uh, I mean, when they piss, they bore a hole in the dirt, so not much is equal with that uh, swinging thing, man. Oh, Lord. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I mean, I know here we got seven minutes in the first car flip and explosion so that, you know, again, it just kind of know what you're in for with this. That's um, the infamous explosion too, that they talk about in not quite Hollywood where the door almost took the camera, the whole crew behind the camera out. Yes. Yes. I had forgotten about that. You're right. 
Um, I, we talked about the hang gliding stuff over the city. I really like that because, I mean, again, you're in a time when everything had to be done organically or not at all. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. It looked really nice. It was kind of it was really cool. You know, you don't get to see stuff like that too often in films. And you know, I think it's again a case where Trenchard Smith, being a stuntman, maybe had access to a guy or some stuff that he thought would look cool. You know, like the uh, the uh, hang gliding stuff. Well, hang gliding, like we talked about, it always looks very. It's a very beautiful uh, recreational sport. Uh, something I've always admired that people can do. Uh, I have. I have interest in doing it, but I'll never do it. I can tell you that right now. I'm too, I'm too much of a chicken shit. But that's what I say. I, I didn't really think about the similarities between that and The Dark Knight. But then I remembered, you know, in The Dark Knight, when he actually did that the first time, he was in quote unquote supposed to be in Hong Kong. Yes. And uh, you know, Hong Kong's landscape, even though it's much busier now, it still hasn't changed much. So a lot of the buildings were the same. You know, I could identify them and things like that. So it was very odd because I just finished watching The Dark Knight, and then I decided to watch The Man from Hong Kong, and you wouldn't think those two films have any fucking thing in common. Well, no, not at all. Uh, speaking of Hong Kong, I, one thing I found very telling was they talk about the smog and pollution in Kowloon in Hong Kong. And this is a 30-plus-year-old 30, 30 film. So, I, you know, you always hear about how awful it is there in pollution-wise. But you're going back 30 years, and they're already talking about how it's one of the worst cities in the world. And I thought to myself, wow, how mm-hmm. much worse is it now? Because it's gotten exponentially worse. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, speaking of Hong Kong, I always like seeing the the police uniforms in Hong Kong. They look like Boy Scout uniforms. They got the sort of olive green uh, button up short short sleeve shirts with the shorts yes. and the helmets. Yes, and the nice. I think the boots are the tall black boots. They almost uh, they're almost very Nazi like. I hate to say that, but that's what they look like to me. Yes, yes. Um, Wang Yu, Jimmy Wang Yu, was dubbed in this film. I thought he was dubbed pretty well. I mean, sure it was obvious, but um, they did a pretty good job with the dubbing. It wasn't like they had. You know, a complete uh, Guaylo dubbing him. The guy did have a bit of an Asian accent. Yes, yes. Um, and they did. They pulled that off reasonably well. I did want to say I felt like um, the the fight scenes, like I touched on, must have been choreographed by a Westerner or or someone who's not that good at chore- fight choreography. Because again, I mean, part of it was Wang Yu wasn't a world beater. He was good, but he wasn't a world beater. But a lot of the stuff I found very uninspired, and I think that's partially because I watched one of the films that we're going to be covering next week before this. And that film will knock your socks off with the martial arts stuff. So I think I was kind of hadn't gotten that out of my head yet. Um, Cause this film is more of an action film than it is a martial arts film. You yeah. know, like we'd said, yeah. Um, there was a scene I wanted to bring up because I thought it was funny. It was a, it was a throwaway scene. I mean, it's a two second scene, but there's a scene when uh, they're first going to see Samuel Hung's character and the, the toe cutter and Roger Ward um, they're at a water fountain, and Roger Ward wants to get a drink. And <laughs> Toe Cutter's standing at such an angle that when uh, the fountain gets turned on, he makes it look like he's pissing into Roger Ward's mouth with the fountain. And I just thought it was really funny because that's something like buddies would do to each other. Yes, yes. It's very – I think the biggest weakness to this film is that we don't spend enough time with Roger Ward and Toe Cutter. Agreed. I think they were very charismatic and a lot of fun. And I'll be honest with you, even though this is a Jimmy Wang Yu film and it's called The Man from Hong Kong, if it just would have been a buddy cop movie between those two guys, I would have loved it just as much. As would I, because the problem when you get um, some of these uh, Hong Kong actors or Asian actors out of their element, um, it can sometimes lose some of their charisma mm-hmm. because they're not in their comfort zone. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it's because the film's shot kind of in tight, medium to, you know, close stuff. It, it, um, 
Although, let me let me let me go. Let's go off on a little bit of a tangent here. Jimmy Wang Yu's charisma is not great in this film as some other films I've seen him in. He's much better in uh, the Master Flying Guillotine, for example. He's much more charismatic in that. But evidently, he's so charismatic, and I think the outside of the cinema guys talked about this a little bit that he can bed any woman in a matter of moments. Now. There is a moment, I didn't bring this up in my review, but I'm going to bring it up now. And I don't know if it's in your review or not, uh, so just stop me if it is and we'll get to it when you get to it. But there's a moment where, you know, he's taking some damage and he gets taken to a farmhouse. And then we spend a good five to ten minutes that the, I told you, the five to ten minutes maybe that could be cut out, where Jimmy Wang Yu is riding fucking horses and doing a make-cute type shit in a pipe. And... <laughs> I don't know what the fuck's going on. I don't even know what movie that was. <laughs> yeah, I hated that stuff, and I did have a note about it, but I forgot I let you get it off your chest. Oh God, it was, it was. If if you were to come into this movie and see that part, you would turn it off because it was fucking awful. It grinds the movie to a halt. But it's it's this romantic subplot that just didn't need to be there. This is a guy's movie, yes. you know, or this is an action fans movie. This isn't. This doesn't need to have the romantic subplot with the tickle fights and the horseback romance and just bizarre that they put that in. Oh, it was really, really bizarre. And I have no under I have no reasoning whatsoever. It doesn't move the plot along. It does nothing. It sets up that car chase I was talking about, but you didn't need that to set up the car chase. No, you don't need anything to set up anything. Just do it. I mean, no one's expecting uh Robert Altman here. <laughs> it was pretty bad and there was also Another little, you know, moment there where somebody supposedly spent some time in Hong Kong and they made some good soup. And I'm like, what the fuck are we? What the fuck am I watching? Just, to, it was just all pointless. I don't know who threw that in there. I don't know if it was Trencher Smith or Jimmy Wang Yu, but either way, it was a mistake. It was the biggest mistake in this film. I will say the one mistake they didn't make in that scene was um, they had the one girl, you know, the the darker Asian girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, looks like she was from South Asia. Um, they mentioned her. She's talking to Jimmy Wang Yu. And uh, I thought to myself, oh, fuck me. If they're going to say this girl's from Hong Kong or China, they're, it, it's the, it, I thought it was going to be the example of take an Asian and cast them as whatever Asian country you want. Yeah. But <laughs> thankfully they didn't. They said she was from Singapore, and she did look like she was from Singapore. So yeah, I'm did. glad they said, no, no, she's an exchange student from Singapore as opposed to trying to, with a straight face, pass her off as being Hong Kong or Chinese. You know who I almost thought she was at first was the lady that plays Emmanuel. <laughs> oh, Laura, Laura Jemser? Yeah, I, that, that, that's that's just the first reaction I had because the, oh. the, the the skin tone, the kind of long hair, and you know we're all familiar with uh, Laura Jemser from the Emmanuel films and stuff. So she kind of reminded me of her. Not that she looks anything like her. She just kind of yeah. No, there's a few shots where you couldn't even tell she was Asian Asian at first. Oh no, no. So, I, yeah. There's plenty of shots where I couldn't tell she was Asian. I, as a matter of fact, I didn't even put that together until uh, somebody said something about it when the soup and I'm like, what the, f-? again, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? Oh, you mean, no, you mean the white girl. You don't mean the Singaporean girl or whatever. You, you mean the white girl that his. Yeah. I don't know either one. I, I, I'll be honest with you. And to our listeners, I've really lost, almost lost interest in the film completely at that point. It was a needless thing because there is a lot of fat to be trimmed here. Um, I'll admit to that. Uh, there's a foot chase that getting back to the, the bread and butter of the film though, there's a foot chase they gave us the fruit stand. Not a fruit stand. They gave us a guy carrying or- oranges, and they got smashed to bits. Nice. A painter on a ladder. You get that old routine. <laughs> yeah, here at the Gentleman's Guy, we're big fans of when people do the foot chases or the car chases, and they hit everything, When even when there's like six people on the street. Uh, we're big fans of that. And, uh, yeah, didn't disappoint. Yes. Um, okay, i got a few more notes. I'll try and run through them here, as I always say. 
uh, his first love interest in the film had no eyebrows, which was a little bit uncomfortable for me. Yeah, there was. We talked about this yesterday a little bit. There were moments when she was attractive, and there were moments when I thought she was the fucking Boy Scout. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's very true. It's very true. Um, there's a lot of great mustaches in the film. Yes, we we talked about the king mustache. There, there are some. Uh, Great stashes, although still, sadly, Roger Ward, no mustache. Don't understand the logic behind that at all. Yeah, and he's got a he's known for his mustache. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was again, you know, it was kind of interesting though to see him like you know before he he shaved it off and hear the well. What you the, see, I think, with Roger Ward in this film is you see the charisma he has. I I think it's a shame, really. He never really caught on with American audiences. Now he traditionally only made Australian films. I don't think he really came out of Australia much. Yeah, but uh, he has a natural charisma, and he was a professional wrestler before he was an actor. So uh, I could see that because he has that natural charisma that some professional wrestlers have. Well, yeah, and you look at his stuff uh, in Mad Max as Mad Max's superior officer. It just he's wonderful in that. And there's the scene when he, I think he's watering his plants with his shirt off, and yeah. just a bit of a comedic <laughs> moment. Yeah, and I thought, you know, God, he is really charismatic and. If any of our Aussie or anyone, any of our listeners know of any starring films he did where, you know, we can really get to chew on some Roger Ward, let us know because for us, he's always been one of these guys that, hey, look, it's Roger Ward and it kind of pumps the film up for you a little bit. But I'd like to see some of his starring stuff and see him carry a film because you, you, I agree with you. He certainly could. Mm-hmm. So um, there's a scene in the film, actually, you touched on it briefly where uh, there's a fight in, uh, in a martial arts academy. The scene that precedes that, where Jimmy Wang Yu's character has to climb up a standpipe um, through this, uh, yeah, it's a really, really tall building. The thing I liked about the way they set that scene up and the way they um, gave the, the viewer perspective was they would do an overhead shot of how high up Wang Yu had gone, but below that, every so often there was cars going by, so you would see the car getting smaller and smaller and smaller, and I thought that was a really effective uh, technical thing to kind of show the viewer how high up he was. Yes, I mean, Brian Trencher-Smith, technically, one of the great action directors. Yeah, he's like, uh, I would say, I like this Italian director better, but he's almost like the Itali- the Aussie, um, more diversified version of Castellari in that he can film action and action set pieces and stuff. Yes, I agree. That's a very good comparison. Um, and then speaking of that, I like that in this, the goons didn't all just stand around at the academy. Like they were like one after the other, after the other, after the. It wasn't like I mean, sure they didn't all bum rush them at once, but it wasn't the usual kind of you know standing around in circles waiting for the time. Like these guys were were rushing at him pretty pretty quickly. Yes, <laughs> which I like because that's always the complaint with martial arts and action films. Um, there's a great bit where they try to make uh, doing use character more mythical, which I think probably he put in himself where. He's taken some uh, some abuse and there's some you know some he's been the recipient of a pretty bad beating and some weapons have been used on him and they talk about how he's still alive because he's at this doctor and uh, he says oh he was able to slow down his heartbeat to stop the blood loss and and all this and they turn him into sort of this mythical kind of <laughs> warrior which I thought was kind of comical. It was. I kind of chuckled to myself. Yes. Uh, I, I'm just crossing out my note here about the romantic subplot that I thought was very needless. His daughter, though, that the, the, the uh, his love interest looked a little bit to me like Britt Eklund. I mean, she was pretty. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she was. Uh, supposedly pretty popular, too. Uh, I think one review I read talked about her. Uh, they were excited that she took her shirt off in the film. So I don't know anything about that actress. Uh, evidently, she was a popular model or something, but 
Uh, they were excited that she took her shirt off. But she takes it off very quickly. And either way, even though I was excited to see more breasts in the film because I am a male, that's whole, that whole section could still have been cut and I would have just been fine. Yeah, and, and just the thing with making him this super sexy swinger, it doesn't need to be there. I mean, it's okay. like when you get these real macho films where there's no women in the films because they don't need to be. There doesn't need to be a subplot. This is something strictly for the boys. And Yeah, well, the big problem is, I think, for me, is that Jimmy Wang Yu doesn't exactly exude sexual power to me. No. He kind of exudes... Uh, He's almost, prick. yeah, <laughs> he's a skinny little prick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, I think that's the big problem. I mean, we talked about this several times about the kind of homoerotic undertones of action films and kind of the machismo and how it borders on homoeroticism. Uh, Jimmy Wang Yu never at any point in this film do I feel is one of those type of men that women just throw themselves at, but they kind of put him in that role. And if you buy it, that's fine, but I don't see how you could. It just It just doesn't work. So. Well, the thing, you look at someone like Bruce Lee, if we're going to use... Um, yeah, that's a good example. A, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A peer of Jimmy Wang Yu's. Although I think Bruce Lee is peerless, uh, quite frankly. But uh, Bruce Lee exuded charisma. I could see Bruce Lee betting any woman if they wanted to because yes. he's very charismatic. He's a good-looking guy. Well, that's the thing. We, we talk about this all the time. Action stars have to exude charisma on two different fronts. They have to be appealing to the male. And they have to be appealing to the female, uh, appealing, appealing, not appalling, <laughs> appealing uh-huh. to the female. In other words, men have to be as attracted to that star as women are. And it doesn't have to be sexual, but you have it's to feel that, worship. Yeah, you have to feel that kind of, you know, you have to feel that. And I never felt, I never felt that for Jimmy Wang Yu in this film. I always felt like I wish somebody would punch him in the mouth. <laughs> yeah, it, it does leave you a little bit cold. And like I said, I think, I think part of the problem was his arrogance came through on camera despite everyone else's best effort for it not to. Yes. Yes. Even if I didn't know the backstory of this film, I could still tell. I don't know how how I could tell, but I could tell that this was a very troubled shoot because it, it the I don't know, it just had a bad vibe to it, a lot of it and felt like it was kind of I don't know, you just felt what you said. You felt that uh his arrogance was coming through in spots. Yeah, which, you know, you don't really want to. Because you, you don't want your your good guy to be arrogant like that if he's a prick or a badass like a dirty hairy type thing that's one thing but you know um harry callahan wasn't arrogant he was he was abrasive and crusty but he wasn't uh, um arrogant right you know what i mean right um you'd mentioned this and i'm gonna i'll just say it now i'm in complete disagreement with you about the the car chase in the back third of the film i absolutely love it and it was almost like the defibrillators that brought me back to life because it happens after that snooze fest sort of um epic love story on horseback it, it happens right <laughs> after that and it brought me back to life and that's trenchard smith's bread and butter as an action director is the cars uh the stunt work not the martial arts stuff so to finally get to chew on a nice long car chase where uh we get cars crashing we get someone driving through a house we get uh people smashing through a billboard which tarantino referenced uh or pay tribute to in Death Proof. Yes. Um, it's exciting, exciting stuff. It's shot very well. So for me, that was what brought me back into the film. What did uh, Tarantino say in Not Quite Hollywood that Australia, nobody shoots cars like Australians. They shoot it, they almost shoot it like porn. Yeah, like in a fetishistic way. Yeah. And it's true, man. The Aussies have some of the best car stuff ever on, put on film. Well, I mean, we talked about it earlier. They, the greatest car chase of all time that I've ever seen is still the Road Warrior, and I've still seen nothing that even compares to it. 
the Road Warrior, that set piece is is first class. And even the stuff in Mad Max, it's not on the same scale. But if you can look at that and know that this is done on a zero budget almost and know that that's some amazing stunt work when those guys are flying off motorcycles oh and my God. all this stuff, it's just incredible, incredible stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, we'll, we'll just come out and say it. There's going to be a time when one of the Trillo GGTMC episodes will be the Mad Max uh, oh, trilogy. Yes. No doubt. Because <laughs> you and I are huge fans. It's post-apocalyptic. It's cars. It's action. It's hunky Mel Gibson. Yes. You know, it's, it's Tina. It's Master <laughs> Blaster. It's <laughs> a lot of things. Um, there's a, a safe in George Lazenby's apartment that was probably the biggest safe I've ever seen in a residence uh, ever put on film. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's a good point, man. That was a, that was an impressive safe. <laughs> I mean, this safe is bigger than a fucking bank safe. Oh, I'm laughing because I didn't even think to put that in my notes, but I remember thinking to myself when I watched it, I'm like, what the fuck, what the fuck does he keep in the safe? <laughs> well, apparently he keeps an arsenal um, <laughs> of explosives, and I'll, I'll say no more. <laughs> um, that's actually all the notes I got. That's uh, that's everything, so I'll kick it back over to you for your make or break MVT and score. All right, my make or break for this film is going to be... Uh, the scene right from the get-go, because from the get-go, like I told you, I had to rewind it and watch it twice, because I love the action stuff right at the get-go. Uh, Brian Church-Smith does it very well. Uh, I think the reason why that car chase took me out, I think now looking back at it and thinking about it a little bit, even though that car chase you're talking about is very good, I think the reason why I didn't get into it was because of the horse love before that. And uh, uh, yes. I say horse love loosely, it's not exactly what you think. <laughs> That, that's kind of a, a pun there. If you do get some horse love, you will be loose, I can assure you. <laughs> oh, man. That's a perforated colon. So, uh, <laughs> so either way. Either way. <laughs> like a, be like a sieve. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Either way. Uh, I think that took me out of that scene stuff. Now, every action scene in this film, I said before, it could be a short film in and of itself. It's a great kind of calling card brian trencher smith uh, uh example of what brian trencher smith does well uh i don't think it's I, i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think this is as good a film in some ways as turkey shoot was but in some ways i think it was a better film than turkey shoot i don't know how else to put it it's kind of it's kind of hard for me to explain that logic but uh brian trencher smith's always been kind of up and down quality wise for me but he's always very solid I'll say that. So mm-hmm. so I'll say that my make or break is that first action scene because it really sucks you in right from the get-go. And with that, my MVT for this film, even though I kind of wanted to go with Jimmy Wang Yu, I couldn't do it. I just, I, Something about him rubbed me the wrong way in this film. I, I don't know what it was. I don't think it was the backstory behind the movie, I'll be honest with you. I, I, I never really pay attention to that stuff because a lot of my favorite actors are pricks. So, I mean, I love Val Kilmer, and uh, I've heard a million bad things about him, but I don't care. I love him anyway, so... Uh, it has nothing to do with the part. I just I just don't like the way his character's carried off in this film. I just kind of I constantly wanted to smack him. So uh, I'm going to go with Brian Trenchard Smith because I feel like outside of the kung fu scenes, which are minimal compared to the other action scenes, I feel like Brian Trenchard Smith really shows his talent here for shooting action. And really, I don't even know if it's talent. Let's put it this way. Let's just let's just say that he shows his insanity. Yes. Because when Brian Trenchard Smith shoots an action scene. There is a high possibility somebody is going to get hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And there are some amazing scenes in here where I would be surprised if some people did not get hurt badly. So, yeah. (laughs) So, my score. Well, go ahead and say what you're going to say. No, I know I always cut you off, Sammy, and I refuse to this time. (laughs) Okay. Uh, My score for the film is just a solid seven. I I, I like the film a lot. 
I think it's a great cult film. I, I really here's what I want. I want this film to be released on a nice uh, DVD with some extras because there's so much great backstory to this film, uh, and I would buy this immediately. So uh, it's a lot of fun, and anybody that's a cult movie fan should own this. Excellent. Okay, so uh, my make or break is that car chase. I wasn't going to bring it up. I wanted to kind of, <laughs> you know, reveal it here, but I couldn't uh, not defend it any longer. I, I think the problem was you, um, you still had a bad taste in your mouth from uh, from the horseback romance. <laughs> oh and everything man, else. I tell you what, if the more sexual innuendo of these horses we talk about, the more different type of fans we're going to get for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I know, I know. <laughs> um, It'll be like, uh, what's that play Harry Potter did, the Equus? We're going to get Equus fans uh, (laughs) on board for the Gentleman's Guide. Um, I think the thing was that this brought me back to life, whereas you were so far gone at that point that you were just, you know, too cheesed to care. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was quite the opposite with me. It just really just sent a jolt of excitement through me because, like I said, I feel this is what... um, what Trenchard Smith does best is the car stuff, the action stuff. And that's why I look at this film more of an action film than a pure martial arts film. So that's my make or break. My MVT for the film, I could very easily go with Trenchard Smith. I like him. I like his films. Like you said, he has a consistent body of work. You know, you can usually expect stuff hovering between the six and a half, seven and a half range, which makes him a solid genre director. Um, but my MVT is just the action overall, because this really, like you said, is a showcase for action and different kinds of action and different set pieces and, stunt work with the hang gliding and the cars and the martial arts and the stuff being broken and, and everything else. So that's the MVT of the film because really that's what the film is. It's a, it's all about the action. It my score for the film is slightly better than yours. It's a 7.25 out of 10. Like you, I don't think this is the, the most you know, incredible film ever made, but I do think anyone who's a genre film fan and an exploitation film fan um, should pick it up from Cinema de Bazaar because it is a fun romp and you should see it at least once to see sort of exploitation, this fusion of Golden Harvest um, Asian filmmaking with sort of exploitation sensibility. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that's what it is. It's a fusion, and uh, yeah, I totally agree with that. And let's get a somebody out there. Let's get a special edition released DVD of this thing. A lot of great with a stuff. commentary with Roger Ward. Oh man, Roger Ward and Brian Trichard Smith together yes. in the same room. Oh yeah, <laughs> that puppy would be on pre-order, baby. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And just to see some behind the scenes stuff with some of the stuntmen and like that stunt where the motorbike f- goes off the cliff. Oh, that's insane. Yeah, I think they talk about that in Not Quite Hollywood, if I remember correctly. Yeah, because there's one stuntman in uh, Australia who's infamous. I think his name was Grant Show or something like that. Yes, yes, I think that's his name. Yeah, And he's actually the one that uh, I think he played the assassin that Jimmy Wang Yu chased. And he's the, oh, one, yeah. he's the one he knocked off the motorcycle or whatever, so. Oh, it's not Grant Show, I don't think, because Grant Show was Jake from Melrose Place. I knew that name sounded familiar. Oh, yeah. Well, I love Melrose Place. <laughs> As do I. The cat's out of the bag. There you go. It's better to talk about cats than horses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> At least cats have a derivative nickname that's more female. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So we will go to break, and when we come back, we'll review Sergio Martino's torso. <laughs> we'll be back. This is Bill from Outside the Cinema. If you're hearing this, then you probably like podcasts. Logical. Flawlessly logical. Well, let me tell you. If you like horror movies, exploitation films, and underground and cult films, why not check out Outside the Cinema? You gotta tell them! www.outsidethecinema.com You're a smart motherfucker! Hey man, I try.
back, everybody. Here we go with our next review, which is uh, for Sergio Martino's Torso, which has a very long title in Italian, which I might, little, uh, I might as well go ahead and try to say it, I guess. I corpi presentino tratti di Valenzi Canali. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. Let me see here. Where is it? Oh, dude, it's a long title. Uh, I think Torso is oh, a better yeah, title. I corpi presentato tracci di violenza Canali. Jesus. Yeah, that is long, which I think, <laughs> yeah, which said. is what it says in uh, Undefined Bodies Bear Traces of Carnal Violence, which yes. is kind of a cool title, actually. It is, it is, and actually a better title than uh, Torso, but I do like the title Torso. It's simple, it's punchy, it, it's almost like uh, the light version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it evokes something. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I'll give, give you a basic plot synopsis here, and uh, forgive me if I kind of make it kind of broken, because I want to make sure there's no spoilers in here as I read this, but... Your basic plot synopsis for this film is uh, someone is strangling co-eds in Rome. The only clue is that the killer owns a red and black scarf and the police are stumped. Uh, let's just leave it at that. I don't really want to go. That's enough. Uh, yeah, I think that's enough because this is a giallo and really that's all you need. So I picked this film. It's uh, actually one I've been wanting to talk about for quite some time. And uh, so I'll kick it over to you get this review started. All right. So I, I, the first thing I want to say about this film uh, is that Torso is an appropriate title for a few reasons. <laughs> Firstly, because, like I said, uh, leading up to this, it evokes a certain feeling, a certain, you know, you imagine what, what, what it could mean when you know it's a, a horror film, a Giorgiallo film. Um, the second thing is, it, then probably more, even more appropriate, is the fact that it's called Torso, is, is the fact that numerous women's torsos are showed bare in this film. He's, he's being polite there. Uh, numerous, numerous... <laughs> Torsos. <laughs> There's at least eight topless scenes, and every topless scene features usually more than one topless female. Nice. Good stuff. I counted. I started counting because they were piling up so quickly <laughs> that I figured, you know what? It was like in Hands of Steel with the Daniel Green shirt listing. Oh, awesome. <laughs> um, you know, I just had to start na- making note of it. Uh, and in fact, 13 seconds into the film, you get two topless beauties uh, in a sort of a lesbian scene sequence, and there's a bizarre um, doll eye-poking-out scene. Mm-hmm. Yes. This is 13 seconds in. Yeah. <laughs> so, there you go. Um, as this guy really like Now, the first thing I do want to say, talking about some of the, uh, the people uh, behind the scenes here, the score, as we see in the credits, is done by uh, some of our absolute favorites, and that's the, the uh, D'Angelis brothers, Maurizio and uh, Guido D'Angelis. Yes. Uh, love, 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 love everything they do for the moth, well, not everything. I mean, they're pretty prolific, but... I adore them, um, and as do you. Yeah, this has one of those great uh, giallo piano pieces that is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's beautiful. It's haunting. There's times when it's very sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really good stuff. Really good stuff. Uh, it's got a pretty solid little cast. You get Susie Kendall, uh, who, who's no... Um, rookie when it comes to giallo she was in Burb the crystal plumage which is one of my favorites you get luke miranda now luke miranda is a guy that um he, he worked a lot in italy he did some euro crime films i'm not a huge fan of him I, I get it i know he's a good looking guy and and he's kind of charming but i think the role he he did in this film was more suited to what i think he's capable of which is he's sort of the the hunky doctor yes i think you're right about that i think miranda you know a lot of people don't like him uh and I think it's because he sometimes was cast out of his element of what he could do. Uh, he's got a great face, and he's got those great eyes that uh, it seems like the Italians had a thing for blue eyes. 
Yes. Well, because, you know, generally not a lot of Italians do have blue eyes, right? Yeah, I guess so. But, I mean, you know, you think about all the blue eyes, you see Franco Nero, uh, uh, Terrence Hill. I mean, those Richie are just – Richie Yeah, I mean, you just think of them rough time. I mean, there's a bunch of them. So they had a real thing for uh, lead actors of blue eyes. But, yeah, Marinda, I'll agree with you. I mean, he's he's a uh, he's a beautiful man. That's the best way you can describe it. He's got a great-looking face and everything. And, and he is – more suited for this type of material than some of the other stuff I've seen him in. So I'm in agreement with you on that. Yeah, my wife, she caught, I think, the second half of the film with me, and she was like, oh, who's that? Yeah. Oh, who's that tongue? <laughs> yeah. She's, she thought he... <laughs> he's, a pretty, he's a pretty boy. <laughs> he is very pretty, and that was my, my beef, was that people kind of lumped Fabio Testi in with him when Fabio Testi can handle himself with the rough stuff and the physicality. Well, Testi's, Testi's a little bit more macho. That's the thing. He is. Testi's yeah. a big man. Yes. Um... Now that I, I've talked about my man crush for Fabio Testi, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, Luke, my wife, she was going on about Miranda, how he looked like uh, Kelly Ripa's husband and Jonathan Shake. And, An interesting piece of trivia, if those of you who are Hostel fans out there, Miranda's in Hostel 2. He plays one of the doctors, talking to uh, Freddie Rodriguez, I believe. Wasn't he one of the, I thought he was the detective. Uh, yeah, the detective. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, right at the beginning of the film, right? He looks very different, but again, still a very attractive older man. <laughs> yes. Well, that see, that's the thing I like about that film is you get Edward Fennick in it too. Yes. So, and I think some, of, I think some of the scenes are actually shot in the same courtyard that uh, this film is shot in. Well, the interesting thing I know we're kind of off on a tangent, but it's related to the film here. That courtyard looked like the courtyard to me. I think it was from Deep Red. It um, is quite possible. It looked like that because I think Deep Red takes place in Rome, if I remember correctly, and then this takes place in Rome now. With that being said, I'm sure there are a lot of courtyards or piazzas or whatever they're called that look similar to that in Italy. But I couldn't help but at least think that they look like similar courtyards. Yes. Yes, I agree. So um, it's got a good little casting crew. Um, and, you know, speaking of the, the courtyards and everything, I love the architecture whenever I see films done in Italy or I guess primarily Italy because places like Greece and Spain didn't quite have the prolific film industry but just seeing the architecture and i always sort of start daydreaming thinking god can you imagine if you lived there and on your way to work you see the coliseum or you know you see some of this beautiful ancient architecture every day it just it just i find it astounding and it's it's so it's very breathtaking to me yeah i mean uh, that's the thing about italian film and when you posted this thing on the boards about what country would you if you had to pick one country whose films you know that you would have to watch for the rest of your life or whatever, what would it be? And it's really still it's still getting harder and harder for me to think of anything outside of Italy because of the architecture, because of the many numerous genres they tackled. Uh, it's really getting, I mean, the more and more we get into the show, the more and more I realize that Italian cinema was so, so, so important. And uh, it's just, yeah, breathtaking, beautiful stuff in this film. And not just that, but the, let's let's be very blunt and, and forthright here. The women. Oh well, yeah, we uh, <laughs> yes, and and I'm not typically a big fan of the you know underarm hair, but uh, even in here, oh, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm an American. I'm not used to that. Uh, you know, it's not exactly my thing. But uh, in this, I would I would overlook it for some of these ladies. They were pretty nice. Yes, I didn't even notice the underarm hair until my wife goes, "Oh my god, I can't believe that." <laughs> Because yeah. I, you know, because the thing is, sometimes she acts as my eyes because I'm scribbling down a note and I'll miss something like that, and then mm-hmm. just rewind it. And I was like, oh, yes. yeah, I'm not a fan of it either. But at least it was wispy. I mean, it wasn't like uh, some <laughs> Armenian dude or some, you know, Arabic dude's uh, underarm hair, or some '70s porn actress uh, yeah. lower body hair there. 
Yeah, like Ron Jeremy's ass crack or something. Oh man, whoa, whoa! <laughs> what movie were we watching where the dude had a hairy ass crack? Do you remember? <laughs> no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I'd have to think about it, but I really don't want to think about it. So I'll yeah, just... <laughs> let's move on. I don't want to think about that either. Um, I do want to say this was a beautiful print. Wasn't it Anchor Bay that put it out? Uh, yes, I believe it was, and that that movie was uh, Ten to Midnight with Harry Ashcrack. Ah, uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I just remembered. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> speaking of the opposite of beauty, Harry Ashcracks. Um, well, unless it's that, that's your sort of thing, and you're into bears. But let's get off that before oh, we Lord. get onto it. Um, one thing I do want to know right off the, the hop with this film is Martino's great at building tension and building suspense. There's a scene near the beginning of the film where a young couple's out um, making love in, in a Mini Cooper, and there's a scene where some lights go off in the car. And just the tension's built very well, and this is, uh, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about films, people don't mention the filmmaker's ability to build tension. Uh, in films because you know when you get a flat film that's when you really see it but something like this i thought it was superbly done well my opinion of martino and for those of you who don't follow us on the boards or shame on you first of all uh you know join up over there pop syndicate my opinion of martino is he's probably one of the great italian directors who doesn't get enough recognition and the reason why i say that is because he does so much with so little this film is very bare bones. I mean, I, there's just not a lot going. I mean, as far as set pieces and stuff, you can tell this film is very low budget, in my opinion. Uh, they had a house to shoot in. Uh, scenes are lit by car headlights, which I always love. I always think that's a genius oh, yeah. move because car headlights bring a a sense of uh, kind of danger for some reason. I don't know why, but they, they work so well. And uh, that scene you're talking about is is really a, a great, masterful. Uh, to use a word that you like to use quite a bit. And I wouldn't consider Martino a master. I consider him very competent, like Enzo Castellari. Yes. Uh, but he he does so much with so little, and that scene is so great, man. And the design of the killer and everything in this film is it's so simple, but it works so well. I completely agree with that. I, and the thing with the headlights is it gives you a sense of vulnerability because, I mean, there's nothing else but the lights on you. You can't see anything else around you, but whomever has the lights on you can see you. Yes, yes, that's what it is. I mean, because if you've ever looked into a car headlights, you can see the headlights, right? But you can't see what's behind the headlights because the light is so strong. And that there's just you can just see these little moments, these little bits of movement she can see behind the headlights. And I'm like, you know, I'm getting chills when I'm watching it because I'm like, oh, fuck, man, that, that would be so fucking scary to be stuck out in the middle of nowhere. Somebody turns on the headlights and you know somebody's in, the, in your car or near your car, but and you don't know who. <laughs> and your boyfriend's snore to be found. and yeah. Yeah, it becomes very scary. Yes. Um, so I really liked that. I thought it was very impressive. Um, the next note I have here is that there's a sleazy riffraff Richard O'Brien lookalike selling scarves. <laughs> yeah, in the typical giallo fashion of uh, red herrings. Uh, yes. He's set up as the reddest of herrings. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. He even, he even looks at porn when nobody's around. Yes, and that you get, yeah, you get sort of shoehorned in. You get some topless women by way of looking at a porn magazine. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, now, speaking of women, there were a lot of beautiful women in this film. Not necessarily in the sense of or the heights of like a Rosalbaneri or Fennec, but sexy kind of. Uh, there were some good, really good looking women. Like um, a lot of them had each one of them. If you looked at them had something about them that was, was yeah. sexy. I think Susie Kendall is underrated. I think she's very pretty. 
she was in The Bird with the Crystal Plumage and yes. uh, a couple other films that are kind of notorious. But uh, this has always been one of my favorite performances of her. She plays kind of the innocent. I think she's uh, I think she's always been kind of underrated. I think she's a very, very beautiful girl. And I'm not really into blondes, so... But she she pulls it off in this film. I really like her. Yeah, no, she looks good. I, I like you. I'm not really into blondes. I'm more into the dark hair. And in fact, Carol, the girl that um, uh, one of the other uh, the girls uh, in the film, you know who Carol is? Uh, she she was at the flop house with the two dirt yes. bikers. Yes, yes. Uh, she was my favorite. I thought she was gorgeous. And she, in fact, she went on to be just a piece of trivia. So I wanted to look up what else she had done. Um, I think she went on to be a producer. She produced. Uh, Titus, I think, with um, Anthony Hopkins. Oh, nice. Uh, she became yeah, a really prominent producer. Um, let me see very quickly here what else we can see, because I know there was a few other titles that I was kind of surprised about. Um, oh, I don't know. Actually, The Cemetery Man she produced. Uh, that's a very good film. Fat Girl. Huh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, very interesting, which is the Catherine Briad or Briet, or however you pronounce her name, the French film that you and I had talked about that Miles reviewed. On show, so she was a producer. So it was very interesting that she went on to do that after uh, sort of romping around the sleeves of this film. That is interesting, actually. I had no idea that. Hmm. Yeah, but I really was taken by her. I thought she was very attractive. Um, but like I said, I'm sure a lot of guys could say, well, I like the black girl with the afro, which I like her too. But, you know, you get all these different kind of types that, that are, you know, a little Yeah, any, any one of them would have been fine to be stuck in a villa with. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Now, there's a scene at a swamp, and in fact, it's on the cover of the, the DVD. There's a scene at a sort of swampy kind of uh, setting with some fog and these white, stark white birch trees that had a very, very moody feel to it. And again, um, you know, the girl's rolling around in the muck and the mud, and she's getting dirtier and dirtier, and the killer's getting her, and her, it's just very visceral, a wonderful, wonderful scene. Um, and again, it just goes to show how great Martino is at setting up and paying off uh, uh, the kills in these films and building the tension and the dread and the, the, the nasty feelings that they evoke. Yeah, we'll talk more about that scene a little later. But, yeah, it is it is mucky, dirty, but absolutely fucking beautiful. Oh, yeah. it's uh, Yeah, we will talk. You're right. We will talk about it later. <laughs> I do want to say on a note related to that and related to a lot of the kills in the film that this killer is the most efficient choke artist in the history of cinema. <laughs> Yeah, and he does it with a scarf. He's awesome. I mean, uh, he is he is quite, yeah, he, he might quite possibly be one of the most efficient killers in the history of cinema. The key chokes them in like four seconds later. Done. Done. I mean, very impressive. Very sleazy. He's a, he's a choker and then a <laughs> mutilator, so it's very, very sleazy. It is very sleazy because these women die, and then he gropes them. If their shirts are closed, he opens them up and starts fondling them. Then he gouges out their eyeballs. I mean, very sleazy stuff, and even just the act of choking. You know, you always hear when you you read um, police uh, books and stuff about how choking is a very intimate, sort of sexually mm-hmm. uh, aroused kind of uh, form of killing someone. Yes, and uh, you're right about the the groping afterwards. Yes, I had an interesting conversation with my wife who was coming up behind me as I was watching this and saw some groping uh, and was quite turned off by that. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's uh, not very pleasant stuff. No, it's very sleazy, but uh, you know, you know what you're getting into if you know this genre. So it's yeah. not, it's nothing outside of what I didn't expect. Uh, I'd seen oh. it before, so I mean, I knew what was going to happen, but I expect it from this genre. This is what I want from this genre. Uh, you know, Philippe, uh, not I shouldn't say Philippe, but F13 over it. Well, everybody knows his fucking name, but 
Either way, he always says, you know, Giallo is what? Boobs, black gloves, and blood, right? And this one has every one of those things in spades and almost to perfection. Yeah. More boobs than anything. (laughs) Yes. Well, like I said, that's why Torso is an appropriate name. Um, I want to talk about the dubbing of this film. Again, you know, it seems like a lot of these Italian films, because they were sold uh, overseas, um, they're dubbed very, very well. Like I, I started watching in the Italian dub. But the subtitles cut out for some inexplicable reason, so I switched back to the English. Yes, and I mean, fuck these English ones or these English dubs are always fantastic. I find this one is very good. Uh, this one doesn't take you out at all. Uh, some of them, I mean, we'll get the further we go along in the show. I'm sure we'll run into some some that are really bad. But uh, this one's very very good. I agree with you. It, it didn't take me out not even one second. Did I even think twice about it? No, no, exactly, and that's the sign of a good dub. Is you don't think to yourself. Can you just look at some of those? You know, people always when you think of bad dubbing. Let's face it, you think of these cheap Taiwanese kung fu films. Well, I always think the dubbing goes twofold. Not only is the timing got to be good, but also sometimes they pick the wrong voices for the characters. In my opinion, yes. And, and this one, right yeah, out. this one they pick. I think all the right voices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody's Absolutely got a great voice. Um, I love how sleazy and voyeuristic. Martino's eye is uh, usually a scene will start off with uh, a leg or breasts and it kind of pulls back from there. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it'll then show someone, a woman who's dressed kind of sexually and it'll, it gives, you know, and then a lot of the, with a lot of the females, it gives sort of slight lesbian undertones in their act in their actions. Yes. Um, which I'll maybe get more into that later. But the thing of it is, I know I say it's sleazy and voyeuristic, but it doesn't come across quite as leering. It comes across almost as, uh, uh, his admiration of the female form and, and his beauty. Do you know what I mean? Does that does that even make sense? No, it does make sense. Uh, I've had this conversation many a times, and we talked about this when we talked about Super Vixens, that you, know, you can say that they're sexist films and stuff. I can see where you can get that, but I really see it the other way. I see it as, uh, even though it is violence against beautiful women, and that's kind of a giallo staple, uh, I see it as admiration for these beautiful women, and I think that people take the wrong approach when they say that these films are sexist and sleazy and just made for teenage boys. I don't, I don't agree with that at all. I think that, uh, these films are made by men who respect women. And, uh, that's just the way I feel. I mean, I don't know Martino. He could be a total sleaze bag, but the way I feel about it is I don't never felt for one minute that the film was needlessly sleazy. It was sleazy. But it was more sleazy in the stuff with the kills than it was the nudity. Yes, yes. And it, it was it was very – I mean, the women are beautiful, and the camera is leering, but it's leering because, you know, the human form is beautiful. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, depending on who you are, uh, you know, you don't get a lot of shots like that of the male body because the male body just – just typically that's not cinema language, right? I mean, we just don't see a lot of leering shots of um, – of men, unless you're watching an '80s action flick, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> which we've talked about several times on here. But uh, you know, cinema language from the '70s tends to be, you know, these uh, leering shots of women, and I, I don't understand the sexist remark at all. I think it's actually very powerful and it shows you how beautiful women can be. Yeah, no, I, okay, I'm glad you kind of agree with that. I know I was sort of contradicting myself, but I uh, wanted to convey that. Now, another thing I like in this film is that even though the killers weapon to kill the the weapon the women with is not a knife he always has a knife and the thing i like about the knife or the blade is that it always gleams and glistens in the light yes great lighting yeah wonderful stuff really gives it a sense of it's not one of those re, you know kind of retarded gigantic blades either it's a very no. tight simple blade that just looks menacing it does and it has a curve to it this sort of uh 
I almost I almost wonder now if I'm digging too much into it, but it almost takes on the the form of a female body the way it curves, and I wonder if it's it was intentional. It could be you could probably see it either way. You could probably see it as a curvy female body or as a curvy phallus. Yes, <laughs> either way. Yes, that's true. Um, staying on the technical stuff, I would want to say that the cinematography in this is good. If not, it's not very flashy. You get a lot more static stuff for some overhead stuff and stuff like that. Standard zooms in and out you get with these European films of the time. Um, like it's not like Argento, who you know, regardless of what you want to say about him, to me can work a camera like it's nobody's business. But the cinematography was good in the film. I'll say that. Yeah, Martino is totally different than uh, Argento in a lot of ways. Argento is more of an artist with uh, camera movements and things like that. Martino, I've always felt, is more. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word I'm trying to use here. Uh, just more concise. It's like his shots are more set up. I've always felt like Argento is more of a an improviser. Yeah. And Arge- and Martino's more of a hey, we got you know we got 20 days. Let's make a movie. He storyboards a lot, and you know maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, for sure. Uh, just a little observation. It seems like J and B whiskey is in every Italian film ever made. <laughs> I mean, you look at Eurocrime films, you look at Giallo's, anytime there's booze, there's going to be J&B whiskey. It must have sold huge in Italy at this time. Must have. That's all I can think. Yeah. Um, what's this say? I'm actually I'm having problems reading. <laughs> uh, maybe, you was, my, maybe you was drinking some J&B while you were uh, I, making your notes. I, I must have. Uh, oh. Okay, yeah, I know what it says. Sorry, guys. Uh, you can probably edit that out if you want to send me. If not, oh well. Um, Martino <laughs> shows less with his kills, I find, uh, than a lot of people. Again, this is interesting in that there's a scene with multiple kills, and they're all done off screen. Now, most of the kills feature little blood. Uh, they're all done through the, the intimacy of choking, which, again, I found very interesting. Cause a lot of times you, they, you want to see the penetration of the knife, right? Right, right. So I thought that was very interesting um, that he did that, and uh, speaking of him sort of being more Spartan or more sparse, uh, the last 30 minutes of the film, very interestingly, has hardly any dialogue. Yeah, and boy, am I a huge fan of that kind of stuff. Uh, that's true filmmaking, in my opinion. Uh, true filmmaking is when you can tell a story with very little, and I love the last, I love the back end of this movie. Some people I've talked to who have seen this film don't like the back end of this film. They think it kind of slows down. But I love the cat and mouse at the end of this film. I'm of both trains of thought when it comes to that, <laughs> and, and I'll get into that. Like you, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned cat and mouse because there's an absolutely, and I agree with you. Before I get into this, uh, true filmmaking is being able to tell your story without needless dialogue. Mm-hmm. You, now this may sound trite, but look at Tom and Jerry cartoons. Never any dialogue yet. What they were trying to say was very clearly depicted and said. You didn't need dialogue. Nope. Nope. But it was brilliant. You can watch the back end of this film without the sound even turned up, and and you know exactly what's going on. Absolutely. And there's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful scene where a character's locked up, and uh, she's unknowingly helped by the killer. Ah, yes. I don't want to say much more than that, but what a fucking scene. I mean, just fantastic. Yeah, good stuff, man. Really good stuff, and it's just it sort of sends a chill up your spine when you see it. Um, I like sort of the irony of the demise of the the killer in the sort of reveal uh, of his of uh, of their backstory. Yes, yes, it was kind of good. Uh, now I'll just say this, and this is my last note. I think the third act was a little slow, and okay. here's why I think it was a little bit slow. 
um, a bunch of characters are killed in one lump sum. And I think that's the mistake for me. I would have rather had the tension ratcheted up uh, by their numbers uh, systematically getting cut down. I can see that. I can see that. I'm going to take the opposite stance on that, though. I think I really liked that we had a bulk killing and then we had what might be one of the great cinematic stalkings, I think. So I'm going to – I'm not going to say it's the greatest cinematic stalking, but I'm going to take the opposite approach. I really, really enjoyed that. So It was good. I mean there was some good stuff in there, uh, some good stalking. But like I said, I just think it maybe went on a tad too long for me. But it was good. There's no denying that. I just think I I would have liked it to be you know a little bit more uh, as it went along but that's those are all those are all the notes i have awesome stuff okay I, i'm a, a lot of my notes on this one are the same as yours and there was a lot of scratching uh because we saw this film almost completely the same way uh but yeah this film is total martino sleaze this is the reason why i always argue that i love martino more than argento and a lot of other giallo filmmakers is that i've always thought his films are taut and quick and uh, very simple, and this. Some people would argue this is his best one. I don't know if that's the case. We'll we'll be doing a lot more Martino on the show. I can tell you that right now. He covered every genre that we love, so uh, there'll be more Martino. Don't worry about that. Uh, he's one of the great. He's actually the great Sergio that nobody talks about. Yes, that's true. Because they all talk about Corbucci and Leone, and nobody really talks about and Salima even. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so a couple of notes I do have that are awesome, I think. Uh, this is the era of the Swedish movie. Uh, there's one point where they're talking about something sexual or something like, oh, I have some movies. I have some of those Swedish films. <laughs> this is the 70s when uh, supposedly only Sweden made porn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I always I always find funny because, you know, this is 70s and America was quite prominent in the porn business at this point. But, you know, these Swedish movies, quote unquote, I think it's when he's with a pro- when somebody's with a prostitute. That's all I'll say. And I have some Swedish movies. So, you know, it's like, oh, great. The Swedish movies. <laughs> it means there'll be a lot of scenes of men that look like George Lazenby and the man from Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You nailed it there. Uh, and also, I am going to say this, and I am absolutely convinced of this. This film has the greatest shot of Daisy Duke shorts ever put on film. Oh, it certainly does. <laughs> this is the most – Martino hit the shot on the head even better than Toby Hooper did in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. <laughs> uh, this is a beautiful, beautiful shot of a swirling camera, which he he's not really known, I don't think, for his moving camera so much. No. But this is a great shot uh, from underneath. Uh, some people might consider it sexist or whatever. I don't care. This is a beautiful shot. Well done. And, uh, a great pair of Daisy Duke shorts. So well, uh, well done, Mr. Martino. <laughs> Absolutely. All I can really add to our review of this film, because honestly, guys, we'll cover everything that I cover is that, you know, the, the design of the killer is, I always think that sometimes in America, I know we go a little too far with our killer designs. We, uh, you know, we like to, I think it all comes from Jason and Freddy, obviously. Uh, and comic books. Yeah, and comics and things like that. You know, we love we love our mask, but we, then we, you know, we have to find a weapon. And then we have to find, uh, you know, an outfit to go with the weapon, to go with the mask. And we, we love to do that. We love uh, to accessorize too much. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> it's, like, it's like this sort of twisted Barbie, uh, sort of Barbie syndrome. Yeah. We've got to accessorize and have the pink Corvette in the house and, and literally, skip her along. Yeah, and her. literally this mask or... I don't even know if it's a mask. It looks more like just a sock. Uh, or a ski mask, maybe. A, a yeah. Or whatever. It looks self-made because the, the holes are cut out very uh, very sloppy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I like that. I, th- I, thought, I thought it was very, very scary. 
that scene in the swamp is the perfect example. There's a scene where she's looking off in the distance. She gets some nice uh, – uh, there's some smoke machines they must have borrowed from Fulci in Conquest. <laughs> and, uh, or vice versa. Fulci probably borrowed from them 10 years later. <laughs> and you guys, we promise we'll get that Conquest review up at some point. we got a whole month of listener content coming, but uh, we'll get back on Conquest. We really enjoyed that review. We lost it, unfortunately, but it was uh, – Smoke machines were brought up quite often. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, there's that scene, and she looks up, and I don't know, did the killer have a peacoat on? I almost thought for a minute he had a peacoat on, but I he couldn't. He could very well have. I, yeah, you're right. I, I think he might have, actually. Uh, I know that you're a big fan of the peacoat, so. I am. I'm a fan of <laughs> killers looking the way he did, like you said. <laughs> but uh, that was a great shot. Uh, just, just amazing. Uh, I think the film's pretty quick. I really like... I do like the back end uh, for people again who don't think the gentlemen agree all the time or think we agree all the time. It's obvious we don't. There's two things we disagree about in both these films. Uh, I, I really like that back end. I really thought it was a nice touch to uh, the first time I saw it. I thought, oh, okay, that, I didn't expect that. That was kind of a nice twist. And then, of course, you know, giallos are all based on twist and mystery and red herrings and things like that. And for those of you not familiar with the genre that's pretty much all all they are they're basically mystery films that are a little bit more well actually i should say a lot more violent yes and uh they're 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 an interesting genre and i totally agree with f13 over in Baca and that they can never be recaptured they it's no. like the spaghetti western i mean it's 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 time was you know what it was and it can't ever be recaptured that feel and everything else now one of the big complaints i've always heard about torso was that it didn't age well but you know what? I didn't feel Who like says that. I don't know. I've read this a lot that people say it's kind of kishy and so based no. in the seventies. But you know what? This film to me didn't feel very. I felt like this film was less kishy than The Man from Hong Kong. Oh, this film. Listen, anyone who says that, quite frankly, I I think you're <laughs> foolish because this film, if anything, like you said, ages better than a lot of them. Yes, this film this has score, aged well. The score for this film is a little bit more timeless. I've seen some giallos that. They have that very 60s, breezy, poppy feel to them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I mean, listen, it's inevitable, some of the fashions and what have you, but oh, this film's aged very well. Yeah, the fashions and the hairdos are dated a little bit, yeah, but I, even then I didn't feel like they were drawing me out. I felt like no. they were they were nice. And they, well, I love they that good. 70s aesthetic. Yeah, it was it was great. And I don't I think the film has aged tremendously well, considering it's, you know, 33 years old and uh, or 36 years old. Let me rephrase that, because uh, I am 36 years old. <laughs> <laughs> so same age as me but uh yeah this is uh of all the giallos i would definitely put this in my top five giallos of all time this is one of the best i think uh i don't know what my top five would be but i guarantee you this would be, end up in there because i think this is one of the great crossroads where everything goes right and uh some people have said it's martino's greatest film i don't agree with that uh, they evidently haven't seen hands of steel exactly <laughs> but uh which is great for another reason altogether but uh, Martino is, uh, again, he's the Sergio that's overlooked. And for you guys that aren't familiar with him, uh, dig up his IMDb page. Start digging through there and checking out more Martino. We can't push uh, Hands of Steel enough. We've tried so much. Make sure you grab that. And uh, this is another great example of his competency behind the camera. And, uh, I mean, that's all I really got to say about it. I'll, I think I can go ahead and kick it over to you for your MVT and your uh, make or break. All right, uh, my make or break I've always I've already brought up, and that's that killing in the swamp is featured prominently on the cover of the the DVD. Again, it's just it's very mucky. You can almost you know the sound design is something I didn't touch on. It's pretty good in spots in this film, and you can kind of almost hear the 
the squishing and the mud and the muck. And the girl's a little out of it because she's uh, been involved with uh, some and sort of a, she's sitting around a flop house with a bunch of hippies. So you can imagine yeah. what went on there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> just very mucky, dirty. She's getting getting stuck in the mud. She's rolling around in the mud, and her her body almost um, starts to look like uh, the girl in Cannibal Holocaust when she's covered in the mud. Yes. It yes. almost gets to that point, and it's just very sle- uh, sleazy, very nasty, uh, and very very ominous, very dark. Just a wonderful scene, and one of the most memorable sort of stalk and kill scenes I've ever seen in a film. Mm-hmm. I really, really liked it. Uh, my MVT is The Sleaze. Nice. Uh, it is what, uh, I guess, you know, I could have went a lot of ways. I could have went with Martino. I could have went with a lot of ways The but just the sleazy kind of uh, feel for it. It's a little bit sleazier than your average uh, giallo, and giallos are always a little bit dirty, but uh, this one's a little bit extra. And uh, that, in tandem with sort of the, the, the skill of Martino and the beauty of the women, makes for, uh, like Sammy said, one of the classic giallos that I think gets overlooked when people talk about great giallos. It's a, a great, great film. Uh, I'm going to give this film an 8 out of 10. Um, I had given it a 7.75, but as we're talking about it now, um, I think it's great, uh, a great, great film. And I think that the fact that, you know, it really illustrates the psychology of the killer in a way that is logical and makes sense. Unlike a lot of these films where it's just really out of left field. Yes. It it does kind of make sense. So, um, yeah, that's my, uh, my score. Great. Hey, uh, I think that I'm going to have to agree with you on the make or break. I mean, there's no way around it. It's, one of the most beautiful scenes I've seen in quite some time uh, in the swamp. It's well lit. looks beautiful. Um, the stalking is perfect. Everything about it is perfect. So I really uh, I really fell in love with uh, that scene all over again. And uh, just a great character design. Uh, great setup. A great shot of the blade, which we talked about. Uh, the scarf is awesome. Uh, matter of fact, I need to get a scarf like that. Do I need to get red on black or black on red? <laughs> so, so yeah, that that's just, that's an amazing scene, and it's even if you didn't like the whole film, I don't think anybody could not say that scene's not awesome. So, well, that and the scene with the Mini Cooper, there's a few wonderful scenes, if nothing yes. else. Yes, uh, I want to also say that my MVT for this film, uh, I wanted to go with uh, something kind of out of left field because I do think Luke Miranda, of all the films I've seen with Luke Miranda, this is the one film he he really is really very good in. Uh, he's perfect for this film somehow. I don't know why, but uh, sometimes when I think about Torso, I think about Luke Miranda, and I don't know, it's just his face and the way he looks, and he's very pained and things, and I, I just love the way he looks in this and stuff. But I'm going to go with Martino because I can't not go with Martino for me. Uh, I think this is one of his best films. Uh, certainly one of his best yellows. Uh, he, he was a workman director like Castellari who could do just about any genre. And... Uh, the more and more we do the show, the more and more I appreciate the fact that uh, he was that kind of director because I love these directors that can just get into any genre and, and bring something to it, and he's he's one of the best at it. I think that's one of the great things about Italian filmmakers over the time is a lot of times nowadays, filmmakers get um, stuck doing sort of the same thing over and over. Yes, yes. And in this, the spectrum of films is is so wide. They'll go from spaghetti westerns to Eurocrime or Polizia films to giallos to post-apocalyptic. You know what I mean? They just are all over the map. And I think I'd love to see that. And that's the fun thing about Italy is to see your favorites do the different genres. Yes. 
That is true. I also want to bring up the tagline for this film because I think it's awesome. One day she met a man who loved beautiful women, but not all in one piece. Yeah, I love that too. I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> that's a that's a great tagline. Okay, so my score for the film, I'm going to give this one an 8.5. I think this is, uh, yeah, it's very high rating for me, but I think it's one of the better yellows that uh, you could possibly see. Um, it's a good one to start with. Uh, you're, if you get into the world of yellows and stuff, you're going to get into a lot of, just like any genre, you're going to get into a lot of not-so-good films. But uh, this is one of the better ones. I think it's very well put together. Uh, I think the twist is not unbelievable like they can be sometimes. Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, I think that's that's important. Uh, I think it's also important to, to, to talk about the fact that uh, this is another one of those great Italian films where they throw a dummy off a cliff. So... <laughs> <laughs> And I have to bring that up because that always makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's all I'm going to say about that. But uh, yeah, definitely check it out, man. Torso, uh, torso is a lot of fun. Uh, or bodies, bodies that bear carnal violence. Was that the other name for it? Uh, bodies that bear evidence of carnal violence. That's I think. Awesome giallo title. Awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome title. And I do want to say one more thing about this film. Like we said, in comparing it to other giallos. Some giallos are strictly about the stylish kills and the brutality of the kills and the sexiness of the kills and the women. Um, you're just waiting for that. But this film is strung together a lot better than those films. The, the downtime in this film is a lot more um, interesting and well done than a lot of giallos. That is a very good point. The downtime is very much more interesting because there's a lot of times in other giallos where the downtime, you're just waiting for the next kill because the downtime is basically what you just said it's down time <laughs> yeah, they're just too talky talky and you know this one does a good job of that correct mundo and yes i just said that and that wasn't italian i don't know what the <laughs> fuck that is all right so we're gonna go to break and we'll come back with some feedback Ah, you kids today with your internet porn, discussion forums, and illegal movie torrents. At CinemaDiabolica.com, we've got something way better than all that. We've got overly opinionated, offensive commentary on films that we more than likely didn't pay for. I guess you could say it's like the entire internet all on one site. Except not. Yo, son, CinemaDiabolica.com is like the whole internet on one site. Except not. Holla. CinemaDiabolica.com All right, we are back, and we have some listener feedback. I think we have a couple voicemails, and or actually several voicemails, and a couple emails. So let's go ahead and get started on this. I'll kick it over to you for the uh, the emails. All right, before we get into the email, I do want to send a big thank you to our good friend Vishnu, who, um, as he put it, got off his arse and made an iTunes account so nice. he could vote for us. <laughs> um, now, he sent us a nice screenshot, and it's a great little review. So I do want to thank you for that, Vish. Five Thanks, stars. Vish. and. And uh, it's, I think it sums up our show quite nicely. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, now the next uh, email is from our good friend Sean in Chicago. And it says, Dear fantastic and amazing gods of film. Yeah, I'll admit it. I fucking love Spice World. It's like watching a burlesque show with cheekiness. 
It has the tone of 60s British exploitation films without all that rotten nudity or sex. Yay? The real reason I love this film is, uh, is the beloved Mr. Loaf, the greatest theatrical rocker of all time. If you ever had the pleasure <laughs> of seeing Mr. Loaf live, you have to stand about three miles back because he looks like that. any second he will explode. <laughs> <laughs> Freddie Mercury, David Bowie, and even the Baranchi have nothing on Mr. Loaf. I can't say that I'll ever see from Justin McKelly because I'd rather Gorilla Glue might not sack to 300-pound weight Jesus. and watch it. But uh, he's obsessed with gluing his member his, or his coin purse to various inanimate objects. Yes, I'm um, absolutely convinced that uh, Sean has a lot of glue in his house. That, and I don't want to see his dick. It'd look pretty beat up, man, if uh, he's glue, gluing it as much as uh, he talks about it. <laughs> it's going to look like that uh, Cenobite that's all wrapped in barbed wire. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, but the Justin Green, he sure is a pretty man, he says. Uh, as you already know, before I uh, uh, fillet you both with oodles of praise, uh, the episodes as of late are amazing. I haven't seen any of the films in the last few, but my blockbuster account is now fully operating with gentlemanly goodness. I especially can't wait to see Vice Squad because Gary Sherman, I think, is one of Chicago's most underrated directors. Dead and Buried is strange and eerie, and as you guys already mentioned, Wanted Dead or Alive is a decent action flick. Missing out on seeing the good, the bad, and the weird is a theater, or in a theater, is one of the great regrets of my life. But considering I still have that, uh, I still have a bittersweet life. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I do physically punish myself daily. Maybe I should do a double feature. Lastly, I was wondering if the pig in Cry of a Prostitute was wearing an eye patch, so we could keep <laughs> <laughs> the GDTMC tradition going. But alas, there's been a lack of eye patches as of late. Sad face. Thanks, thank you as always for exposing me to all these amazing films I never, I never would have dreamed of um, seeking out without your counsel and consent. Um, and uh, says I heart the gentleman, Sean. P.S. Looking for revenge. Oh, I'll leave that. That's about some suggestions for revenge on our OTC friends. <laughs> yeah. And he says, uh, P.P.S. Please come with some Norris, Code of Silence, or Swayze, yes. Roadhouse, Next of Kin. And uh, I just want to say, th- well, I'll let you go first. Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, we'll say we do have plans to cover some Norris. We both are big fans. Uh, yes. Some Swayze would be great, too. We are fans of Swayze. Yes. And uh, Roadhouse is one of the preeminent awesome 80s action movies of all time. Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's definitely on the uh, on the periphery, on the schedule there. Um Sean, you bring up a lot of good points. I do want to say, Sean, that uh, live here on the air, that about uh, 30 minutes ago I received your package. So, And it wasn't through and, a glued package to the coffee yes. table. It was, uh, <laughs> it was the actual package you've been talking about for a while. So I know we seems with Sean we always are talking about packages of some sort. So, <laughs> Or maybe he is. I don't know. <laughs> I do think, you know, uh, you know, you, you, you got to do something about that glue, man. Uh, you could maybe just go with some lube. I don't know what the idea, what the preoccupation with gluing things to things is, but uh, that's a new fetish I'm not familiar with. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> but it seems like it would be painful. I'm not a big fan of glue. So Gorilla glue doesn't sound like you're going to be removing anything <laughs> that you gorilla glue to, yes. to anytime soon. Ooh, so ouch. I want to avoid that. I know in the moment you get caught up in the heat of the moment. <laughs> Sounds like a good idea, but uh, <laughs> a few days later, not so much. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, and unfortunately, no, the pig did not have an eye patch. And we have been uh, sans eye patch now for quite a few weeks in a row. And rape, I th- oh, well, no, actually, I, we don't know that this week the bodies weren't uh, violated after the fact. So Yes, but 
Yeah, we have been without uh, eye patches for a while, but don't worry. I'm sure the eye patch will come back. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, there anything you wanted to add to that? Yes, I also want to thank Sean very, very much for his kind efforts. A lot of people would have given up, but he's persisted in being able to get us a, a nice uh, uh, TLC package. So we, we really, really appreciate that, Sean, and um, think nothing of it Nothing of it in terms of uh, what we do. We do it for, uh, for friends like you, so um, we're glad you've been enjoying it. Um, and yeah, I also love Norris. I picked up a great early Norris on VHS not too long ago called Slaughter in San Francisco, a.k.a. the Yellow-Faced Tiger. Nice. So uh, I got that. There's a lot of Norris we'd love to cover. And uh, like Sammy said, uh, you know, uh, any anytime you get a philosophy major as a bouncer, uh, that's a good <laughs> thing. And I do want to say I don't like Meatloaf that much. He's a little too theatrical uh, for my liking. Um, I like him as an actor and as a person, and I like some of his music, but the 19-minute uh, epic uh, <laughs> period piece videos in the 90s kind of did me in. Yeah, they were a bit epic. I, I will say also about uh, Meatloaf, nothing to do with him, but actually there's an interesting story here. My father uh, told me when I was younger about uh, going to see Joe Cocker live. Oh, wow. And uh, he had front row seats, him and my mother, I believe. And uh, he loved Joe Cocker, but he was repulsed after that show because Joe Cocker liked to move around a lot. And any of you guys familiar with Joe Cocker would know this. Uh, my father got doused with Joe Cocker sweat, oh. which for some fans might be a great thing, but my father was not excited about that. <laughs> that would be repulsive because Cocker does swing around quite a bit. And he is a he is a spaghetti sweater. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, so there, that's an interesting story. Yes, the loaf, he does get theatrical, and boy, does the man sweat. And the thing I hate about the loaf is I get this line stuck in my head for days at a time sometimes. Let me sleep on it. Yeah, exactly. Baby, baby, let me sleep on it. <laughs> yes, and then it just exactly. won't leave my head. I just That song it. is uh, one of my favorites because it will never, ever get out of my head once it gets in. And I appreciate you throwing that in there. I will have to listen to it today now, and it will awesome. be with me all day. <laughs> You're going to be on your way to work. <laughs> yes. Let me sleep on it. Yeah. <laughs> I'll even be singing the female parts. I got to yeah. know right now. <laughs> when you come down for tiff we'll do the duet <laughs> oh nice sweet all right so we got another email i believe yes from our very good friend brian uh at movie meltdown and you can find them at movie meltdown.com mm-hmm. um the title is a lesser wannabe reviewer might have taken the easy road now when i first heard the movies you had to watch after losing the bet of course is the otc bet he's referring to uh, i was let down and not for the uh empathic uh, empathetic reason empathetic. I'm sure the rest of your listeners were but because I was jealous okay from Justin to Kelly now I give it to Bill and Chris that was a funny attack upon you <laughs> yes. mean and cruel yes a little funny as well but Spice World now that's no joke seriously just two or three weeks ago we said on our show that we needed to do a Spice World episode and we weren't joking it was on the list I'm not so sure about the rest of the gang here but I know my co-host Misty and myself at least have been fans of Spice World since our friend got it on DVD as a joke back when it was first released but it backfired because we both really liked the movie and i think or i think it was just uh, going to be used as another joke on another podcast these many years later well that just wasn't cool but as the episode played out and i listened to you suffer through from j to k i began to think to myself wait these aren't just any movie viewers i know you guys enough to know you have a more developed film palette than most and i began to have faith that you would see the spice rose movie for what it truly is a really fun film that is in and of itself a joke that the cast and director are all in on. 
And lo and behold, you guys came through. A lesser show would have just trashed the movie based on its title and reputation alone, but you looked a little deeper at the film to see the girls' tongues are planted firmly in their cheeks. And yes, I just set you up for either a really easy joke about what they can do with their tongues or cheeks for that matter. Mm. <laughs> or or, or a like, joke where we can place our tongues in their cheeks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's where I was going with it, too. Um, <laughs> so, gentlemen, I applaud you for coming through on this one. Nice save. Although I won't pretend I'm still not a little jealous that you got to cover it already. And I'm still thinking at some point we may have to revisit this little film. I mean, we aren't a show to shy away from what most consider bad cinema. You're talking to a man that has just in the last handful of episodes has watched Showgirls, Howard the Duck, and just last week's Seagal vs. Vampires in <laughs> Against the Dark. So what normal people refer to as horrible movies doesn't scare me. I welcome them. Yes. Although even I hadn't bothered to watch from Justin to Kelly. So thank you for reaffirming my faith in you two and keep up the good work. Brian from Movie Meltdown. Nice. Yes, uh, from Justin to Kelly was inspired and uh, I will say it's probably one of the most painful movie watching experiences I've had in the last five years easy. So <clears throat> It was bad. It was bad. Uh, yeah, he uh, that Showgirls episode is very good. I, I Brian, I'm, I'm still all for the fact of you guys covering Spice Girls at some time. Uh, I, I still... Uh, we, we've talked about this several times on podcast about how, you know, all these genre movie shows and movie shows and all these friends of the show and our show and blah, 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 all these shows cover the same films. At some point in time, we're all going to be covering the same films. Uh, I still would like to hear your guys' take on Spike World, Spice World, Spike World. That'd be even more awesome. The Spice World, yeah. So, <laughs> And yes, you are right. That planted firmly in cheeks. Uh, yes, that gave us the uh, the liberty to think dirty, which is what we like to do on the show. Being the gentleman that we are. Yes. Um, and I do want to say the Spike Road, speaking of uh, Italian directors, sounds like an awesome post-apocalyptic film from the 80s. It does. Spike World. <laughs> I would see that. I would see that. I would own that. As would I. <laughs> All righty. So we got a couple of voicemails. So I think four of them exactly. We'll jump into those now. Yes. Jay does like Spice World. <laughs> <laughs> Never seen from Justin to Kelly though, and uh, not too sad about that. No, I got to admit, I love looking at Kelly Clarkson. Um, yeah, so that was a fun little show, and yeah, kind of. Uh, that's for Justin and Kelly. I mean, that's pretty lame. Uh, after what you guys did to them, that was pretty lame. All right, talk to you. Guys. All right, they got cut off toward the end. I don't know why, but. Uh, yeah, Jay must have been outdoors when he sent that voicemail in. <laughs> he pulled a Vishnu on that one. Yeah, he did. He pulled a Vish on that one because he sounded very outdoors. Yes, from Justin to Kelly was evil, wicked, and we do want revenge for it. Spice World, uh, it was bad, but, uh, it turned out to be quite pleasant in an odd way. So yeah, I loved it. And I'll say it again. I'll own it if I see it in the cheap bin at Walmart. Yep. There you go. All right. So we got the, uh, another voicemail here. Let's go on this. Oh, yeah. This is uh, the Macho Man, Sean from Chicago. I'm actually calling from my front desk at work. Spice World. I love Spice World, primarily because of Meatloaf and because of Richard E. Grant. God, I love Spice World. It's a guilty pleasure, probably the guiltiest pleasure. I'm not ashamed to say it. I also love the Samurai, and I also love Big Willie. And uh, I'm working on trying to get these nasty movies, you guys. I thought I had this thing nailed down a few times. But I'm trying to figure out how to burn these DVDs, and it's not letting me burn it every time I think it's done. Nashi's even speaking Spanish, but he's not because it's not matching up with the sound. So anyway, I'm working on getting it to you. And as soon as I do, it will be awesome, but it's taking me longer than I expected, so I apologize for that. I love you guys, and I love Sideshow Bob, Justin Gorney's lips. Anyway, you guys are awesome. Bye. 
Hi, gentlemen. This is Uwe from Munich. Little voicemail kick in there. All right. So Sean uh, basically giving away what he sent us in the package. So I appreciate that, buddy. Uh, yeah. I mean, what's you know, friends giving friends things. That's what it's all about, right? That is what it's all about. And which lips does he mean? Ooh. Yeah. Nice macho man too, buddy. Uh, I know you can't do it too long. If you're at your front desk at work, I wouldn't advise doing macho man the whole voicemail. So. You you can't go ten on the macho man if you're at work. <laughs> a little risky. <laughs> that was like macho man in the library. Yeah, that's and, good. In the American in the American economy, I don't advise uh, going macho man for <laughs> at, at your front desk at work. <laughs> no, certainly not. <laughs> we're looking at you like, hmm, we might have a cost saving issue here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, but we do appreciate it, Sean. Thanks a lot, buddy. Yes. All right, got another voicemail here. Hi, gentlemen. This is Uwe from Munich in uh, sunny Bavaria. I just listened to your bonus episode with the guys from Cinema de Bizarre, and I thought you might be interested in some feedback from Germany on the shop. After you recommended it a few weeks ago, I ordered three movies there. I instantly received a personal email and was informed that I could choose a free bonus DVD, so that was a nice surprise. The package arrived after two weeks, which is quite normal for deliveries from the U.S. to Germany. And as far as I've seen so far, there's everything all right with DVDs. Good quality, very good sound. So I think Cinema de Bizarre absolutely deserves your praise. Anyway, I ordered Rolling Thunder, Cry of a Prostitute, and Violent Rome. And I chose The Man from Hong Kong as my bonus DVD. So far, I only managed to see Rolling Thunder. And also, I surely don't have to say much about that movie because you already recommended it. I must say I was very impressed by its slow but suspenseful start. You don't find a kind of build-up too often in today's movies. I also loved the acting and was really impressed by the performance of Linda Haynes, an actress I never heard of before. Ah. I looked her up at IMDb and found that she got only nine entries, the last being her appearance in Brubaker in 1980. After that, she obviously uh, quit filmmaking, which is a pity, at least considering her great performance in Rolling Thunder. That's all for today. I really like the Pusher Trilogy podcast, and I think you were too nice to the Spice Girls, but you're the gentleman, so I guess that's okay. <laughs> Looking forward to your next episode. Bye-bye, and servus. All right, that was Uva from the sunny Bavaria. So nice. A little sunny action there in Bavaria. All right, Linda Haynes. This goes way back, but uh, yeah, boy, I had problems with that performance. <laughs> you had problems with that, and you had problems with her thick tongue. <laughs> yes, which we giggled about. We haven't had any thick tongues on the show in a while either. <laughs> no, we we have not actually. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, teach their own. I know. Uh, I will say I loved her. Yeah, he, you liked it, and I will say that. So, yeah, well, there's not a whole and, lot else. <laughs> what's that? Not a whole lot else for me to say about Linda Haynes. <laughs> no, but I do say, want to say I'm glad that uh, Uwe liked the um, quality and the service he got from Cinema de Bizarre. He picked some awesome titles. He picked some very awesome titles. Um, if I'm in Rome, is good. It's not one of my favorites. Uh, I think that's directed by Castellari's father, uh, I think Mario Girolami, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, Man from Hong Kong, Rolling Thunder. And what was the other one? Cry of a Prostitute. Ah, uh, Yes. <laughs> with the mighty Henry Silva. Yes, uh, Uwe, I would be uh, terribly happy if you would, after you watch Cry of a Prostitute, if you would call in your thoughts on it, because uh, we're happy that people are actually checking this film out, because this is a very little scene, and uh, we hope a lot of people check it out, because it's a very good film. 
Yeah, exactly. And we're glad you called back. We saw that you called OTC again, and I have to admit, I was a little hurt you hadn't (laughs) called us back. So I'm glad you did. (laughs) I don't know what kind of I don't know what kind of cost he's in in, you know incurring and calling these shows. So that he calls at all, uh, we thank you very much. (laughs) Absolutely, because I don't know if you know vice versa. I don't know if I would be calling a German podcast. Well, I I don't think I could listen to one, unfortunately, because my German. uh, Well, we're arrogant North Americans, so. Yeah, unfortunately, but um, I'm glad he listens. I'm very glad he listens. Yes, yes, keep listening. All right, so we got then we got this uh, long voicemail here from one naked Eskimo. So I'm going to play this. Give me one second, hell. Hey guys, uh, this is naked Eskimo. Uh, just had a couple of thoughts uh, on my drive home. Uh, for one, I was really glad to hear y'all cover ten to midnight. I watched that movie apparently at a much younger age than I should have. Absolutely loved it when I was a kid. Again, probably shouldn't have. But whatever. Thought it was awesome. And uh, so me and uh, Barb rented it through Netflix. We're sitting there watching it, and a couple of things really struck me. Because y'all mentioned the the American Psycho thing. You know, talking about the chief where he's naked. But uh, did y'all notice there's actually several parallels to American Psycho in Tid to Midnight? One thing, uh, dang it, uh, Andrew Stevens' character was uh, very vain. That was that was obvious. They sh- uh, they show they didn't dwell on it like they did in American Psycho, but they do show his morning routine uh, a bit, and uh, it seemed like he was very much about his looks even if he didn't dress that well. Uh, he uh, he had that uh, that look. He, uh, he kind of, honestly, kind of looks like Bale did in American Psycho. Uh, he hates women, which was a constant theme in American Psycho. And then, uh, of course, there's the naked thing, which I can't help but wondering if maybe somebody read that book and was just like, hey, that one scene where he's naked with the chainsaw, that would make an awesome movie. And they just kind of ran with it. Because it, uh, it's just weird. You know, you watch if you watch Ten of the Night thinking about American Psycho, the, the parallels are pretty striking. Uh, anyway, the other thing is we also watched Vice Squad again, which is another movie I saw as a youth. I mean, a youth. I think I saw that movie when it was still fairly new on HBO. Uh, again, probably shouldn't have. Uh, the thing I thought was funny was when we first started watching it, and I was telling Barb, you know, that I always thought it was Jamie Lee Curtis as Princess. And when you first see the actress playing Princess, it's like, what? That's stupid. She looks nothing like Jamie Lee Curtis. And then she gets all dolled up for her, you know, to go out and do her whoring. And uh, <laughs> I'll be damned if she doesn't look like Jamie Lee Curtis with no booze. There was multiple scenes in that movie where it was just really trippy. Uh, Anyway, I just thought that was neat. Uh, Vice Squad, Tendam and I, both awesome. Glad y'all reviewed them. Uh, This Naked Eskimo, so out. Later. All right. One uh, Naked Eskimo. You can check out his blog, uh, Confessions of a Fake Inuit, I believe is what it's called. Uh, 
Yeah, there are some. There are a lot of parallels. Although I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I understood the voicemail. If he was thinking that uh, Ten to Midnight was ripping off American Psycho, because I think American Psycho was more ripping off Ten to Midnight. But I don't. I also don't understand. I think maybe I don't know if he knew. Or this is what I got from the voicemail. But I don't think he knew that Brett Easton Ellis wrote the novel and that the movie was based on a novel as opposed to it just being a film itself. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know, Eski, you can like, clear that up for us. But uh, the way I, I do think that Brett S. Ellis saw Ten to Midnight before yeah. he wrote the novel. Uh, Absolutely. There's no getting around it because you're right. And even I think Mary, uh, was it Mary, um, the director of American Psycho? Mary, not Mary Ellis. Um, was, uh, what was her name? Mary something. She did a few other. She's a good filmmaker. Um, is it Mary Heron? H A R R O N. Mary Heron, I think, yeah. Or is it Lambert? Uh, no, it's not Lambert. I don't know. I think Mary Heron rings a bell. But in any event, you're right uh, with a lot of his parallels. Gene Davis. He actually called him Andrew Stevens, which is funny because I mixed them up too. Yes. Um, yes. Gene, <laughs> Gene Davis does look a little bit like uh, Bateman and uh, or Bale as Bateman in American Psycho. And there were a lot of parallels. But I think um, here's here's the, here's the ultimate question, though, Large William. Is American Psycho a better film than Ten to Midnight? American Psycho is actually one of my favorite films. Okay, so, so I, I have to say yes as much as I like Ten to Midnight. Um, I adore um, American Psycho. I, I've watched it maybe ten times. It's one. It's my favorite Bale performance, hands down. I think uh, I agree with you on the Bale performance. Uh, I think the films are so similar that I feel about the same way to both films. Uh, so I, 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 I like both films quite a bit. Even the angles with the, the line of questioning from Willem Dafoe is almost in line with the line of questioning um, that they gave uh, Gene Davis at his apartment where he feels very uncomfortable and it's very obvious to the viewer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that also. It would right? make an interesting double feature, Ten to Midnight and then American Psycho. It would. Um, and there was one other thing I wanted to say. Oh, yeah, but the book, I mean, the whole Wall Street setting in the 80s, Ellis is very interested in and the whole greedy, excessive eighties with a lot of his books. So yes. that's yes. where that tied in. The book but is was, the book is much more disturbing than the film. Actually, I had to put the book down when I was reading it. I felt queasy at a, a scene yeah. with the homeless guy and yes. the description of uh, what was happening to him. Yes, it's a uh, it's a tough book. It's a <laughs> oh yeah. It's a it's a. I think everybody that loves horror films and uh, things like that should read the book. I think it's a great read. Uh, it's just it's it's a harsh read. I mean, it's a it's a visceral kind of book. Uh, very rare you get that in books. Yeah, it'll turn your stomach, man. And here's a, I don't know if you know this, Sammy, but here in Canada, that book gained a lot of notoriety because um, we had a guy, Paul Bernardo, who murdered two schoolgirls. Um, yes. Brutally, brutally, brutally murdered them. And when they arrested Paul Bernardo, that book was found on his bedside. And the parallels between him and what he did to the Patrick Bateman character were very creepy to say the least. Mm. Did you hear about that Paul Bernardo case up in the Yeah, yeah, the yeah, yeah, we hear about that stuff. Uh you Canadians are not known for your uh, violent behavior, so whenever something ha- like that happens up there, it's national news down here. Well, the only time we're known for our violent behavior is in hockey fights. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or pancake fights, either way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wonder how many Canadian listeners I actually piss off. Thank God you're Canadian and you know the joke or else uh, I wonder, you know, how many are like, "Hey fucker, we don't eat that many pancakes." <laughs> 
We don't, but it is funny. And I love it. And we are going to eat pancakes just so I can perpetuate the stereotype when you come down. Yes, and I'll bring some, we'll eat some KFC too, and I'll show you <laughs> how you eat that properly. No napkins, and you just go to town on that fucker. That's, that's it, man. <laughs> all right, so that is all of our feedback. We do want to do our thank yous and everything. Make sure to check out Destroy the Brain, Destroy the Brain Online.com, Chinstroker versus Punter, Chinstroker versus Punter. Uh, .com or something like that. Just look for those guys, man. Check those guys out. A lot of people, uh, I love that show, so make sure you check those guys out. Uh, Mondo Movie, MondoMovie.com. Uh, make sure to check out Dylan and Christine's awesome magazine, uh, Paracinema, at Paracinema.net. They are lovely people. I'd like to kiss yes. both of them, Dylan more than Christine. Uh, <laughs> there, I said it, Dylan. It's out in the open now, buddy. <laughs> uh, check out Sean's website, HorrorCommentary.com. Sean is, uh, I think, I don't know. Should we kiss Sean too? Why not? Yeah, why not? There we I'm go. big circle jerk. Never <laughs> heard anyone. Also, uh, make sure to keep voting for us at Podcast Alley. We're doing well. Uh, keep voting for us from our website if you could. We have a lot of votes if you add the two up. Uh, we'd probably be in like third place or fourth place or something, but we're doing well. So just keep voting for us from our website, ggtmc.com. We'd appreciate that. iTunes reviews, uh, wherever you're at, wherever you may be, leave them. We appreciate the reviews. Uh, they help a lot. Trust us, guys. Uh, popsyndicate.com. Join the forums over there. We'd love to hear from you guys. We're over there. I'm over there almost daily. Uh, Large William's over there at least four or five days out of the week. So uh, They've been kind of dead lately, but uh, there's not been a lot of news going on lately, to be honest with you, so not a lot of reason to post over there. So, But it is a fun place and a good therapeutic place to release some of your demons. <laughs> yes, and I do want to say if any of you are lurking, and I'm specifically talking to a few very dear friends of mine, uh, if you're lurking, get on the boards. I mean, you guys know your stuff. I don't know why you're playing the the wallflower at the, the saw cop here because yeah. you know you guys have been in the trenches with me watching smut and sleaze and filth for many a moon. So get on the boards, guys. Get on there. I also want to mention uh, pinkiga.com. Uh, we'll have some uh, single-man shows coming up. I don't know what we're going to call those shows yet, but uh, we'll have some uh, one-man shows coming up with some more Pink Iger reviews. Uh me and Large William have decided to do it that way, kind of divvy them up. That way we can get them reviewed and get them out there, and they don't take away from our schedule at all, so or from the listener content schedules we have. So uh, look forward to those. They'll be coming in the next couple of weeks, probably at least next month anyway. Uh, and last but certainly not least, check out Cinema Day Bazaar at uh, cinema-de-bazaar.com for all your hard-to-find genre movie needs. Uh, I will be placing your order today, uh, so... Make sure you guys head over there, grab some stuff. There's good stuff over there, guys, especially if you're looking for hard-to-find stuff. <clears throat> and uh, as always, our voicemail is 206-666-5207. Our email is midnightcinema at gmail.com. It's M-I-D-N-I-T-E cinema at gmail.com. And uh, I think that's everything as far as the pleasantries. Um, okay, I got a few things to go over. Uh, the first thing is just a few of our friends' blogs. Uh, our dear friend Hans, uh, mm-hmm. he actually just reviewed Martyrs on his blog, and it's this is quiet, cool, not quiet, but quiet, as in shh. This is quiet, cool. <laughs> dot, uh, blogspot.com. Yes. And our dear friend Emily, uh, deadlydollshouse.blogspot.com. And further to that, and I just did something really bizarre with my computer and fucked it up. Um, Ay, ay, ay. Uh, I wanted to bring up Tim's uh, blog that he's running through the Pop Syndicate board. It is, give me a sec here, Tim, uh, and listeners for that matter, it's Glass Eye, and it can be found 
uh, on Pop Syndicate. Now, if you have problems finding it, go into our forums and there's postings for it. Tim is someone that I encourage to continue writing for a long time because he just knows so much about genre film and he really has a way with words. Um, so check out his uh, his blog or his article, his, his um, uh, section, and uh, and give him some feedback because that's what we all love. So yes. Uh, that's yes. all I really They're basically thought. podcasters to us. Uh, it's great the world, the family that has been created through Pop Syndicate and and everything of all the creative people that are coming together to talk about their love of cinema. So it's always good to pimp those. And don't forget about Eskies as well, which is Confessions of a Fake Inuit. Eskies is very good as well. He's got a little great thing over there about piracy. So make sure to check out uh, Mr. Eskimos as well. And I do want to say this is inspired by Emily, the Cinema de Bazaar promo code that we should mention every week but we don't is gentlemen yes. one word two of us gentlemen yes. that will get you 10 percent off your order i use that promo code so yeah. not only am i the uh, <laughs> co-president i'm also uh, a client yes nice nice yes i don't mean if that sounded mild i don't mean i'm i partially own cinema de bizarre <laughs> never mind it was an awkward hair club for men joke that didn't quite work out we'll leave it alone ah hair club for men the good old days <laughs> so that is our show for this week uh, next week we are going to be covering uh, two interesting films I'll go ahead and let Lars William uh, talk about his pick I'm very excited uh, we're going to be covering Alice Sweet Alice which is basically an American giallo as far as I understand it's a film that I've wanted to see for years and years and was never able to get my hands on until quite recently um, so we're going to be covering Alice Sweet Alice and uh, your pick Sammy is my pick is going to be the martial arts epic is what I'm hearing. I haven't watched it yet, uh, but it is known as Ip Man, and uh, it should be a lot of fun. We've been talking about covering this one for a long time, so uh, back into the martial arts world. We've been away from it for a little while. Man from Hong Kong, kind of martial arts, but we've been away from the true martial arts films for a little while, so we're going to get back in there. Have some fun. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's all I had to say. Have some fun. (laughs) Oh, yes, and we will have some fun because I've seen Ip Man, and uh, let me tell you, it is one hell of a ride, and I'll leave it at that. I'm very excited. Donnie Yen, Sammo Hung, come on. Sold. <laughs> Sold, baby. Sold. All right, so that is all we got for this week, guys. We hope you uh, tune in next week and uh, keep supporting us and everything. And uh, with that, we'll say our adios. Adios. Thanks for listening. You can find The Gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call The Gentleman at 206 666 5207 and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com You better watch yourself.